Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Yes, here I am. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Tuesday. It is November the 7th. It is Election Day in some of the places where you live. If it is Election Day where you live, make sure you get out and vote. So we're going to be talking about a topic that is relevant to those of you who are voting today. Uh, It's relevant to those of us who are not as well, because we are going to be doing so in one short year. And it's probably going to be a pretty spicy year as that happens. We've got a a lovely guest to bring on. We're going to talk about her in just one second. But before we do, let you guys kind of know that format today is going to be a little bit interesting for those of you. We're going to bring on a live guest. We're going to talk about something very relevant, and we're going to keep going We're going to run in for as long as it takes. We're going to cover down on this uh, manifesto, this tranifesto, if you will, that has been called, that was leaked yesterday, what it means, what it doesn't mean, and uh, what you should be doing about it, sort of the uh, state of play that exists in this country as we see that. So kudos to Steven Crowder for doing great work on that. Uh, Without any further ado, I want to say thanks to my friends over at Catholic Vote. You guys know who they are. Check out Catholic Vote, America's top Catholic advocacy organization in the fight for faith, family, and freedom. They keep the lights on here at the Seraphin House. You can sign up for their outstanding email, which is the loop. We get it every day. We get it uh, about 5 a.m. here in uh, Central Time. Check out the loop by putting in your email, putting in your zip code, hitting give me the loop, and then you'll get it. That's it. It's very easy. And uh, it's always full of useful information. Somebody's in the chat asking if I got a haircut. Of course I got a haircut. I cut my own hair. Our uh, our hair and makeup budget is very, very high here on the Kyle Serafin Show. It's so high that it's uh, cold water, a towel, and my own buzz clippers. I do my own hair all the time. Guys, one-man show, uh, plus Ryan Matta. So, well, without any further ado, check out uh, Catholic Vote, and we're going to bring on a Catholic, a challenger in the 5th District for the congressional seat of what? John Rutherford. This is Mara Macy, and here she is. How are you doing, my dear? I'm doing well. How are you? I am well. Look at that. The Virgin Mary just above your head, kind of uh, giving you giving you the aura. Let's. I get a lot of flack for that down in Florida. We're originally from Massachusetts. There are a lot more Catholics, you know, percentage-wise up there than there are down here. I've actually had people told me they won't vote for me because I'm a Catholic. So We, we could talk about that. They would have voted for John F. Kennedy Jr. I mean, they would have voted for John F. Kennedy, rather. Right. Or maybe Junior, if or, he had ever gotten there. Yeah, if he had gotten there, if he hadn't uh, disappeared and hung out with Alex Jones on the the secret uh, Bermuda Triangle Island or whatever the uh, conspiracy is. Okay, so let's let's talk about who you are first. I want to give people a lens on uh, on who you are as a person. Then we're going to talk about what challenge uh, made you get into this challenge and uh, and why that's going to be something you're going to pursue. And uh, let's let's just dive right into it. Where, where you you said you're not from Florida originally, so let's talk about where you grew up. No, I grew up in a a small town in Massachusetts, about 10 miles outside of Boston, a well-to-do town, a great public education, probably a lot different than what they offer now. And I, my parents were both, they both were fully employed all the time. My mother worked for a company called Digital, which is, uh, it it was the beginning of the computer revolution, so to speak. And, um, my father and my mother opened a business together around when I was about eight years old, which still exists to this day. My father has since passed, but my brother, sister, and I now um, own the business together, and it still operates up in Massachusetts. It's a golf management business. 
which is ironic because I live in Florida and that's a huge golf area, but we don't do anything in Florida. We, we're up in Massachusetts only. So I have the background of having worked for that company for most of my working years. And then when I was 20, gosh, 24, I became engaged to my husband, who is an active duty military memories in the Navy. At the time, he was a CB, which is a little bit different than what he does now. He is a health administrator now, so he works right in with the clinics. And he was part of that lawsuit, or one of the lawsuits, I should say, that was suing uh, Lloyd Austin and the Department of Defense over the shop mandate. And although I've always been very much involved in politics and, and very interested in politics, I never wanted to get actually involved in politics. But I found myself in that situation when they were talking about kicking people out. And I said to my husband, you know, maybe you should run for office because we thought he would have been kicked out by, I think, January of 22. Mm-hmm. And that didn't happen. So he kind of looked at me and I looked at him and I was like, all right, I'll do it. And we just <laughs> knew at that point it was it was me. So it took and that was after the that, the seal case, which put the injunction on the Navy so they couldn't kick people out. This was March of 22. So April is when I started gathering petitions and I ended up qualifying with money rather than petitions. But I I had about three and a half months total in the race or in a race. And uh, we didn't do too shabby for not having the time that we needed or the money that we needed to combat the establishment machine. And uh, they have since shown their displeasure with that. Uh, We can get into that too. But um, I, after that race and and the primary, and I want to say this, the primary is where races are won. If you don't vote in the primary and you only vote in in the general, you're not doing yourselves any, any favors because the establishment has already won the primary at that point. We need to be more active in, in the primary voting than just saying, okay, well, I'm going to go to the general and I'll vote for the Republican or, you know, whatever you may be. But I didn't think I would be running again this time, even though I got immediate messages after the primary saying, all right, let's gear up for next time. And I said, oh, hold up. You know, I need to take a break and I need to reevaluate my life. But I had made a promise to these people that if nobody was challenging John Rutherford, that was a better opponent, that I would do it again. And when John Rutherford opened his mouth on C-SPAN about refusing to vote for Jim Jordan, my messages, my texts, everybody's like, where are you at? And I was, I was actually on vacation in Colorado. That is where I was at. And it was, um, it was a, that was a God thing. Cause I didn't know why I wanted to go to Colorado for vacation. I just kept getting called to go out there. I had a, I had a, um, just, I knew it was God calling me, but I didn't know why. And it was the day I was getting on that airplane that John Rutherford opened his mouth. So that was when I knew he wanted me to be amongst his glory when he had to tell me that I was running again. So it's, it's nice to be in a nice yeah, it's nice to be in a nice place of uh, some of the the beauty of, of the universe if you're going to have to go into the ugliness that is <laughs> that is politics, I imagine. Absolutely. Um, you're a mother as well, is that correct? I am. And that was my goal and my husband's goal for me 
when we decided to get married. I mean, I know a lot of people might rush into marriage nowadays and not even talk these things through, but I always wanted to have a lot of children. I was actually aiming for five. I have four. Um, but, you know, life happens and you you get what you get and you are grateful for it. I at one point thought I would only have one child and that I wasn't able to have more, but God bless me with three more. But when we decided to get married, we decided that he was going to have a career and I was going to stay at home and make sure that my children and my husband had all the support and everything they needed from me. And that is where our life was headed for boy, 17 years at this point, 17 yeah, years what, being. What year was that, that you guys got married? 2006. Okay. 2006, which is well into the modern era. And it's well mm -hmm. into the time when women uh, had the expectation of having full careers, the sort of feminist third wave had already kind of washed over America, right? I, I want to yes. talk about that decision that you guys had prior to getting married. I think these are all really relevant things about the, the values that we, we bring and the people that we put into office that have similar values. You made a decision. You just said that you were going to support your husband's career and that your primary goal was to be raising children. Is that Am I accurately saying that? 100%. Okay. And what did that conversation look like? And was there any bit of a bitter pill? And I only say that because my own wife has taken that same choice, but she fought against the programming that exists in our society that says women should go out and be everything that men are. And she grew up in Brooklyn. So not very dissimilar, I think probably than Massachusetts when it comes to probably more blue lefty values. That's, that's a decision. And it is, it is against the, the current culture in some ways. Maybe you could talk about what that looked like. Oh, and she will continue to face that. I continue to face that, regardless of my ability to communicate with people where they understand I'm not just some simple housewife. You will always be labeled as a housewife because society has groomed us to look at the mother negatively, uh, if you're a stay-at-home mother, I should say. Whereas instead of being a stay-at-home mother and outsourcing your parenting to either the state, and a lot of the times it is the state, mm -hmm. um, you get you get that pushback because it's like, oh, you're nothing but a mother. You don't have any other value. Well, how much would you have to pay someone to do that job? And is being away from your children really worth that? So in a little bit of, I know I mentioned that my mother worked. My mother didn't necessarily have to work. My father did make enough money so that we could carry on and she could she could have been a stay-at-home mother. But she grew up with five brothers. Her father was a Boston police homicide detective. Her mother was a stay-at-home mother. And I think she grew up in that that boomer era where it really was starting, we were starting to be groomed that both parents should go out and work. And it was it, it it's a psyop. It, the, they wanted first thing, and I say I used to say this when I was campaigning too. It's like a triangle, kind of like the food pyramid, but actually accurate. The very top of that, that's God. And what they did, and when I say they, I'm talking about the state, the government, they took God away first. And as soon as they removed God, that was their end to remove the parents and to pull those two people apart in order to push an agenda. And as soon as they pulled the parents apart, and now you see how many divorces happen in this country and and uh, the encouragement, oh, you don't, women power, you don't have to have a man. Well, you know what? 
those children would really benefit from having that man and from having it. And I'm not saying that everybody needs to be in this situation because the fact is, is things happen and there are reasons Mm -hmm. why people can't stay together or don't stay together. And some of those are very, very valid reasons. However, it's always beneficial to have a family as a family. And you can see that in kids and you can see that in the military family part particularly we struggle with this because when the husband or the wife is off to deployment, those kids, you feel their pain and they don't always tell you, they don't always tell you how they're feeling, but you can feel it because you know your children and being away from parents when you don't have to be is not something we should be encouraging, but our society is encouraging it. And why? Because once we did that, we distracted both parents with their full-time jobs in order to support those children that is increasingly harder to do. And then that's when the state could get in there and say, well, there are children now. We're going to indoctrinate them the way we see fit. We're going to push the woke agenda or the CRT and all these things that are going to make them hate each other rather than say, listen, we have differences, but that's normal for people to have differences. Only the government benefits from people hating each other. I heard the word outsourced in there and that's, and you could sit at our dinner table and you would have the, you would fit directly into the, uh, the conversation that goes on between my wife and I, and now my children, my oldest is six. Um, I'll tell you something very funny when she prays, she says, you know, bless this food and bless our family and protect us from our enemies. And she started saying this at six years old, which was very strange to me because I never told her about having enemies. And she told me uh, that our enemies are the government, which is pretty wild. That's a wild thing for a six-year-old to come up with on her own, by the way. Like I said, no no additional grooming required. She just saw the situation we were in. But you talked about the word outsourcing, and that's something that my wife and I use all the time. In order for women to have the full career and quote-unquote have it all, which feminists promise, they have to outsource raising their kids either to the state or to a daycare And then the other thing is, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, we believe, this is the sort of the Seraphim family household discussion, is that you also have to subjugate other women who have to make less money than you in order to do the job that you would otherwise do. So you're actually putting it on young women to raise your kids, you outsource it to people who get paid less. Otherwise, there's no no value for you to work. And that's a similar concept to what I say about illegal immigration. You have a whole bunch of leftists that talk about how we need these illegal immigrants because they do jobs that Americans won't do. And then I say, so you're saying they're worth less than Americans? Is that So it's okay that we pay them less because those two things don't jive. They don't, they don't reconcile. They, there's no sense behind that. And also you are ruining capitalism with supply and demand and um, basically competitive wages that way. If if someone can't get someone to legally do the work for the amount of money, then someone's going to have to say, okay, fine, I'm willing to offer you more. They're cheating so, the free market system that they claim <laughs> that Joe Biden says he backs, right? And 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 the fun thing is that's the dipsy-doo flipperoo that, that my friend Dan Bongino <laughs> talks about. It's also what would be cognitive dissonance for normal people. You would normally say, hey, you're right. The idea that I have that these people have value and worth and they should be able to come to the United States. Uh, I'm also willing to pay them less and people need to have crappy jobs that no one else will do. And that's why we need them. So they're worse less. You just basically turn themselves on themselves and and they can't, uh, has anyone ever given you a good answer on how to rectify those two things? No. And uh, I, as you can imagine, growing up in Massachusetts, I've, I've gotten into it with quite a few liberals 
Um, generally, I have lots of liberal friends being from Massachusetts, but those people will talk to me, whereas people that you come across in everyday life, um, they tend to just start yelling at you, calling you names and walk away. I think we all we've all seen that. We've all seen that happen. We have indeed. We are talking to Mara Macy. She is running for office to primary a rhino type Republican in Florida's fifth district for the congressional election in a year. If you're just joining us right now, we want to thank you for joining us here on Rumble, uh, rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Uh, give us a like, and then we will be talking the Tranifesto after we conclude with this. These are all going to actually make sense for you. Your votes matter. And I think what uh, Mara just said about choosing the primary where the real battleground is. I haven't heard it articulated that. Can you kind of flesh more on that, um, where the establishment sort of uh, is able to dominate when they have the primary in their pocket? So this is actually what I've been doing for the past almost two years. I, um, after the election, instead of, instead of saying, we don't have television in our house, we, I, I can't even handle mainstream media at all. So I just try to avoid any form of, of indoctrination to come into my house and especially for my children. But what I decided to do is I decided to start working at uh, following the money. So here in Florida, we often get a lot of credit for being a red state, for leading the way, the free state of Florida, blah, blah, blah. The fact of the matter is, is they're all owned. Uh, you can trace back the money to every candidate that uh, tech, that will win in the primary. You can trace it all back to the same people, and those people are deeply integrated into the Republican Party of Florida. So our, our state GOP is all part of it. The, this is how the machine works. They back their own candidates, they pick their own successors, and they... Um, they will crush any conservative that runs against their primary person. So there's actually an election today down in Orange County for a special state house seat. And the candidate that they want to win, and by they, I'm saying the establishment, they have, she's in there, she's backed by all the same people, the, the typical people. And you can see one of the, per, one of the uh, PACs, political action committees, that she has money in her given directly to her. It is uh, chaired and the and treasure is, is this guy, a very common, um, common name for people like me here in Florida. And he happens to be the campaign treasurer for one of her opponents. Now that right there is a conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. And they set this guy who who is the woman's her her opponent that is backed by the same guy that's giving her money uh, he has the same values and the same issues as the grassroots the actual grassroots candidate so they're basically trying to split his vote away from her in order to make sure that she wins you know this is done throughout the state and it's done with with all their people they have ghost candidates left and right. There's been lawsuits. They've been called out on it. Uh, but people aren't paying attention, so it doesn't get anywhere. You need this to be seen in the court of public opinion. So the problem here is as soon as she wins today, which I hope she doesn't, but if she does and, and there's a good chance she will, she's, she's the only choice for the Republican. 
So all those grassroots people, all those people that want change, that are looking for um, a change, not just federally, but locally, they're not going to get it because you're just getting the person to be replaced with another person that is just like them. And this is what I say in my own race. The establishment is 100% going to put another person in this race if they don't think that John can win. And they're going to sell that person as a grassroots candidate and they're going to attack me, which is fine. I'm from Massachusetts. I have thick skin. So especially growing up a conservative in Massachusetts, yeah. I have thick skin. But they are going to make sure that they do whatever they can to get their candidate's name out there. So the people that do vote in the primary will go, oh, I know that name because I saw it on a TV ad. Or I know that name because I saw it in a mailer. But people like us, we don't have that kind of backing. We don't have special interest groups backing us. We don't have that kind of money. You don't have so that machine to plug into where it just says like, hey, drop in the quarter. And then the mailers start flowing and the advertisements start coming out because they have all those contacts. I want to summarize yeah. what you said. Uh, tell me if I'm saying this correctly. What what the Republican machine has done in order to maintain sort of the status quo, which is sort of what I've mentioned in the show notes. The status quo is maintained by moving upstream into the primary where less people are active. It's not the general, so a lot of people sit it out. And they win the battle there by creating an astroturf, which would be described as a fake grassroots, to divide the grassroots support for a challenger. They just have they don't have to uh, have that grassroots person win the fake one, the, the astroturf. They just have to have them divide the vote. And then the primary challenger is eliminated because they kind of all fight amongst the scraps and the main candidate will just carry on through the uh, through the general. That's essentially the techniques. Yes, that is definitely. And in fact, they do not want that fake grassroots candidate to win. That's really just a divide. The votes. It's so when I uh, talk on my show, I talk about a, a, a laser pointer with a cat. And if you put a laser pointer on on the on a carpet, the cat will attack the laser pointer, but not the hand. And so you can keep the cat infinitely distracted going after it. Uh, and the cat is more than happy to engage in that fight. And there's never it's never getting upstream to where the real problem is, which actually it sounds like happens before the primary even goes down. Oh, easily. I mean, those mailers cost tens of thousands of dollars. You can't. That, you that, that, that little piece of paper that you throw into your trash that you open up and throw in the junk mail that costs somebody a bunch of money because all they wanted was your eyeballs to see a last name. A last name. And they also want you to associate certain things. So they will attack the actual grassroots candidate by saying they're a rhino. They're they're the rhino. And it's it's funny because that means they acknowledge that there are rhinos. They're just they just don't care if they're in office. It's so it's so gross. I want to uh, go back to values. I want to go back for reasons that you guys sat and got in. You, you mentioned that you had a conversation. You and your husband were deciding someone was going to run uh, and, it, and it was your short straw that got drawn before that. He decided not to get a vaccine shot. And he was a member of the U.S. military. Now, you guys have probably been attacked in the same way my family was. What I'd like to know was, what was the discussion that you had at your dinner table or uh, standing in a hallway when you're dealing with kids going out to sports or whatever it is? Because I know we don't get those sit downs as much anymore. What was that conversation like? What were the the key points? Was there any flexibility? Was there ever like, a hey, sh maybe we should do this? Did you have moments of self-doubt or, you know, how did you kind of push through that that difficult time when the mandates came down? There was no moment of self-doubt when it came to the mandate. At the time, my husband had uh, 18 years active, no, maybe 17 years active, three years reserved. So he was at the 20-point mark 
but because those three reserve years, he wouldn't be able to get his pension until he's 60 because it doesn't count as an active duty pension. Mm-hmm. So had they kicked him out, we were looking at, uh, we well, we didn't know what we were looking at, but one thing we knew was that there was no way he was going to take that shot. And, and we discussed it prior to it even being mandated. Uh, we saw it coming down the pipeline and, and not a chance. I actually had started looking more into vaccines far before that. And the information that I was getting, they didn't, it didn't make me feel strongly that we should continue getting all of the vaccines in our house. That didn't mean I stopped. We still got certain vaccines in our house. We, for my daughters with adrenal insufficiency, we tried to do them more scattered so that they wouldn't all come down on them at once and cause an adrenal crisis. But uh, I just, especially from the Catholic perspective, I remember back when we were stationed in Spain, I looked into the fetal cell issue in in terms of being involved in the production. And it had been said by Pope John Paul II that, um, you know, it it is not good that science is using fetal cells. However, this is what we have right now, and it's better for the safety of the world that we take this and we have to encourage the science world to stop using fetal cells. So I went with that teaching for a lot of years. And then in t- right about right about when we moved here, so maybe 2018, 2019, I decided that I was going to kind of dig back into that. And I found out that they started using a whole new line of fetal cells just in 2015. And I said, that's it. I said, I'm done. That, you know, I'm happy the Pope really tried to weigh that out at the time, but there is not going to be a change in the way science does this and this this production of vaccines with fetal cells. So I need to reevaluate the way I feel about this in general and, and the whole vaccine situation. And we technically, we, we weren't really um, flu shot people in mm-hmm. our family. I know my husband had to get the flu shot for years because he was active duty and they require it, but he's even stopped that at this point. We're done. We don't have that faith in science. We don't have that faith in government and that they're going to do the right thing. We've been involved in NIH studies for adrenal insufficiency, and I can see through them that they're really only interested in money. So until I can have that confidence, I'm not going to put anybody in my family, not not even my husband, um, I'm not going to put them at risk because no amount of money is worth losing someone. It, it is not. I, my father died at 63. I Every day, I wish I could have him back. I'm not willing to risk that again. I'm not, I'm not willing to lose someone, especially someone important to my kids. So when my husband was told he had to take that, I had actually toyed with the idea after the election in 2020, like, I can't believe the government isn't actually investigating these things more thoroughly. These things, the the election seemed to have so many red flags and they just kept trying to find ways to dismiss them and make a whole half of a country feel like they were being, you know, they were being unreasonable. Yes, they were there, was, there, was, us. there was a concerted effort to make you feel like you were the crazy person, even though the logical facts weren't going. That's a lot of what this show does. Uh, so if you're just joining us right now, we're talking to Mara Macy. She's running for the primary spot. She's looking to primary 
the current incumbent in the Florida 5th District. Uh, that's Duval County and St. John's County if you're in Florida. And uh, we're, we're talking about some of the things. I think all that stuff actually ties into what goes on with this trans manifesto, which we'll discuss later on in the show. But there is something weird where when you want to ask the questions, logical questions like, hey, can we just get a straight answer about this? Then you're the crazy person. That's the the gaslighting that we all experienced. Um, I'm really curious how much of the discussion that you guys had, how much of your decision would you say was faith based, the fetal cell lines, the religious implications, how much was medical, and maybe you'll tell little people because you're not anti Western medicine. Uh, you have conditions that that require you to rely on that in some way. So maybe you can kind of flesh that out. Yeah. So adrenal insufficiency and also thyroid disease, which I have. Um, they require daily medicine. So I do, I rely on big pharma and I think that medicine was created to be a good thing. When it came down to the decision with the shots at the time, it was all faith at the time. It just, it, it did not, it did not have a, we didn't have a medical basis because we didn't know anything about these shots, but it just, God spoke to people and not just, not just Catholics, you know, not just Christians. God spoke to people, even people that might consider themselves atheists. They might not even realize it was God, but God was telling these people to resist for one reason or another. And nobody, nobody has the right to question that. When God speaks to you, that is your faith. We, that is protected in this country. Yet we found ourselves in a situation where that went right out the window so originally it was all faith-based. It was, we just felt it. You could feel it. You could feel it like you can feel the good and evil, the, the battle, the spiritual battle that goes on now. And we talk about this a lot in the military community, um, the anti-shot military community. We all can, it's palpable. You just, it's you we're living in a different time and you look back five years ago and you're like, well, you know, I, I believed in God and I know what I feel in terms of faith, but now it's, you can feel it just looking around and, and it's almost like you could reach out and touch it. You can reach out and touch that spiritual battle. So it was faith-based initially, but now there has been so much. And considering my husband is a, um, a DMED whistleblower, in the military, we have seen it in terms of diagnoses and it is damning evidence. It is not good, but they're trying to push it down and we're, we're still fighting that. We're still fighting back to get it out there and to get it heard before Congress. And there was actually a DHA memo leaked, I think a few days ago, and they knew before they even mandated it that it was causing myocarditis. But of and course they did, particularly right? amongst men. Of course they did. So your husband, Ted, who he's still active duty in the Navy, is that correct? That is correct. And you said a couple of acronyms. I'm going to have you spell out what DMED means, but he is a whistleblower, which means he is actually on the battlefield, the spiritual battlefield you talk about, pushing back against these things. And that's what left the opportunity. He's He's got to stay where he's at. He can't really lose that position and maintain the legitimacy of what he's doing, it sounds like. And that's why you're the primary candidate. I think that's how you drew the short straw, if I understand it correctly. <laughs> that is how I drew the straw. Well, so like I was saying, I considered it briefly after the election. And then I was like, no, I was like, that was silly. <laughs> what was I thinking? I'm not going to run for Congress. That's crazy. And then 
when he that whole thing came down with him and we thought he was going to be booted mm -hmm. uh, from the military, I was like, oh, you know what? It must have been another sign from God that I'm supposed to support your run for Congress mm -hmm. because we thought that was naturally where he was going to be headed as soon as they they kicked him out. And then I was like, no, that makes a whole lot of sense. Like God is still speaking to me. It's very clear. And then as soon as that Navy injunction came down in March of 22, I was like, oh, nope, it was me. It was me the whole <laughs> it's time. It's a terrible like, feeling. <laughs> it is. It's a horrible feeling because I, I will tell you right now, we are the most private people. We don't want to be involved. Yep. And it's funny because one of the political consultants for the establishment, who's also deeply involved in the RPOF, Republican Party of Florida, he said to us at an event back in May, he just yelled at us. He said, get a life. And I just started laughing. I mean, I might have said something like go to the gym to him right then at that moment. But you, really, yeah, what the, I was the, thinking, the correct answer is, what do you bench when someone gives you a command like that? If they have oh, a, the spoon chance. Yeah, he, does, he benches pancakes. That's right. Anyhow, so <laughs> so I, I, I just started laughing because we had an amazing life before all of this. We, like everybody else, had the wool pulled over our eyes and we were living the first world country dream, right? We have four beautiful children, well-behaved. They, they're well I get compliments on these kids and have since they were children at restaurants. I mean, restaurants, come on. You know how waitresses and waiters feel about Having children kids at in the restaurants. It's, it's, they, it's a nightmare. And people would always tell us how, even other customers would tell us how well-behaved our children were. And they're loving and they, they are just the good kids. I don't even think I can take credit for it. They're just, I'm really blessed about that. But we had a great life before this. So it's funny that you're going to tell us that, oh, go get a life. No, I gave up that life to do this, which I don't want to do. But the thing is, is the people that do want to do it, they want to do it for their own interests. They don't want to do it for our interests. So this is this is not my campaign. This is our campaign. Yeah. This is the people's campaign. When we uh, when we look at people that are really good military leaders, at least in my experience, they're often always the people that least want to be in a leadership role, but they know that it's being thrust upon them or they're being called to it. Uh, it reminds me of Isaiah 6, 8, which is my favorite. It's my favorite uh, prophet sort of little verse. And it's just like, who shall I send? And and Isaiah says, here I am. It's not that uh, it's like, yeah, send me. I'm really excited about it necessarily. He starts off with here I am. It's actually a reluctant call to leadership. Uh, and and I had the same thing. Like I, I'm the most private guy in the world. I had no social media until until this last year. It's been a strange ride, and I'm in the same boat where it's like my family lived on a. We literally moved onto a patch of dirt in between two mountains, so nobody would see us, and we could just hide away and do my job. And you think you think that's what you're set up in the world to do. You think that you're moving along, and your job is just to be a parent and not to to be public. I, I very much empathize with what you just said. I feel like Mark Hout is in the same boat. He's running in uh, PA one. Uh, he was raided by the FBI and, and has that same sort of thing. He was a private guy. He didn't go looking for anybody's attention. He was just a guy that didn't like abortion. And he's a dad and he's a bunch of kids. And you think that's what your job is going to be. And then, man, good for both of you. And I, I talked to him actually at Miralaga the other day. And I said, God bless you, because I know that there is nothing worse than going into Washington, D.C. I can't imagine you're excited about the idea of going and hanging out in D.C. And yet you're willing to do it because... You know, let's talk about the the future. Let's talk about your kids. Like, what motivates that sort of uh, that energy to go do something horrible, like serve in Congress? There is no future for them if we don't change things. There is no future.
we're headed look at our look at our currency what do we want to be venezuela we're anything we it's not worth nothing is worth having if we don't have freedom and i i say this too all the time i can't leave this country for my children in a worse place it was than when i inherited it and i mean if i could go back to the 80s and 90s not to age myself but if i could go back to the 80s and 90s wow as we seemed it was just a different world we had such freedom and and people could talk to each other and get along and yeah there was still issues but i swear we have gone backwards and it's not because of the people it's because of the government's need to pin people against people to tell people those people don't like you and why because it serves the government you're not going to uh keep the all the republicans and all you're not going to vote party line unless they have a bad cop unless they have someone to pin all the problems on. So both the left and the right, they both benefit from people hating each other, from racism, from you know, homophobia or, or whatever the newest trend is in terms of people hating people. We don't hate each other. We don't. We've been groomed to hate each other because they saw what would happen if we all just got along. And that start, we started all just getting along in like 80s and 90s. I mean, in terms of things that we make popular nowadays, the woke agenda, the trans stuff. When I would see someone growing up that was trans, I mean, I, first thing I felt was I felt bad for them because clearly they were in a situation that uh, they were uncomfortable with themselves. Now, what the reasons are for that, I, I won't get into, but what I will say is, we were being raised in a way that it included empathy and we felt that for people, but they need, they knew that if we had that empathy for other people, that we would end up being able to see through their garbage. So they had to pin, they're all, the, un, the uniparty is real. They had to pin themselves against the other ones so that it was good, good cop, bad cop for lack of a better analogy. I use that one a lot too. But if you go in there to the voting booth and you want to vote all R, it's because you have been groomed to believe that the left is responsible for all the problems and vice versa. But the truth is, is they're both responsible and they work with each other to make sure that they can both be blamed. You know, oh, the the right, they're racists. Sure we are. I've been a conservative my whole life, and I've never been called a racist until I was probably in my late 20s. And it was because it was because I was a conservative. I was called a misogynist, a xenophobe, um, a racist, and a homophobe because I told someone when we were in Gettysburg one time that I voted for Trump. That's there all I is. said. Yep. That's all I said. And then I was I was a misogynist. I love that one. That one uh, could be my favorite. The, the best about being a misogynist is when you look at the alternative is that you have to believe that uh, men are the best women. They win awards as women and that they can go hang out in women's spaces. Like, I don't know what's more internalized about misogyny than being than saying that men are better at being women than women despite the fact that they lack the, the uterus and the ability to bear children, which seems like the most critical piece for most women across the board. Obviously, there are some exceptions, women. I understand that. But 
But uh, yeah, by and large, we used to just understand biology in the 80s. I like the uh, the, the good cop, bad cop, the idea that it's got to be either Republican or Democrat is sort of the false dichotomy. I did a whole show on the false dichotomy as a as a logical fallacy because the real because the alternative to that is that it's us versus them, us being people who vote, them being people who are making rules and trying to maintain status quo. And and that's really you're you're literally just trying to turn the angles uh, of the camera. They they want to show you one thing, and and it looks like you're in the fight for it. Let's talk issues. Where do you stand? What are your big issues? What are the things that are most important to you that you're um, you know putting in the forefront of your campaign? And the funny thing about that is a lot of a lot of the issues that I had in the last campaign, same issues because nothing has really changed. But I divided them differently in the way I approached them in the last campaign. I would talk about border security. And I would talk about um, the military and I would talk about not sending our money to foreign wars. But then I kind of realized these are also they're, they're pretty much the same topic. They, they can be grouped together very uh, closely in terms of we should have and I this this is how I feel about this. We should have a strong national defense, mm-hmm. not offense. We shouldn't be going into wars in which we don't belong. Uh, we shouldn't be sending money to other people's wars overseas when how, how else is Mitch even... McConnell going to buy a mansion? He needs to buy mansions if he, he needs the military industrial complex money. <laughs> I, mean, I think he needs to worry about more things than buying a mansion at this point. Maybe new He's, vasculature uh, in his brain. Yeah. Well, you know, there are, there are conspiracy theories. I am not a conspiracy theorist. I will, I will come out and say that, but I do enjoy a good conspiracy theory every now and then. Um, but I find it amazing that I was campaigning on the fact that John Rutherford had sent $42 billion to Ukraine a year and a half ago, and here we are, and he still has voted for every single bill to spend money to you, send money to Ukraine. I, um, I, I, don't, I don't understand how people can actually support giving away our money when we have Tent cities across this nation. We have huge problems here that we've claimed we can't deal with because that would take a lot more money. Well, where's the where's the money coming from going over there? Obviously, we're going into deeper debt to to uh, get it there. But if we were going to go into debt, let's do it for our own people. Now, don't I'm not actually saying let's go into debt or let's spend money we don't have. But I'm saying why weren't we willing to do it for Americans? Why aren't we willing to do it for veterans? Why are people in the military not re-upping? Why are they not, people not signing up to begin with? We have a lot of issues within our own nation that we need to address before we can go take care of everybody else. And to be quite frank, the founding fathers never intended for us to be the world police. They never intended for us to get involved in things that don't serve our national interests. And while that sounds a little bit selfish perhaps, the fact is, you can't take care of someone else's house when you can't take care of your own. Seems like simple, common sense type things to say. Uh, we're talking to Mara Macy. She is running for the primary challenge spot in the 5th District of Florida. She's uh, There's her, her logo and her icon. Uh, tell them the, the website, if you would. It's maramacyforcongress.com. You can put in an FOR. You can put in the number four. It should take you to the same place. We're still working on updates from the last go in 22, but it's up and running. It's up and running. You can get just an idea of who I am. You can get in touch with my campaign. You can get in touch with me if you have to. 
Um, I, I am doing a lot during the day. So if I don't get back to you immediately, please give me a little grace. Yeah, we could all use a little bit of grace on that. Uh, folks, if you're just joining us right now, make sure you're giving us a thumbs up on Rumble. We really appreciate you joining us in the live chat in there. Uh, weigh in. We're going to be talking about Tranifesto things in just one moment. I want to kind of wrap up with the idea. Your your slogan is make America right again. What does that mean? And uh, what does it mean to you? Well, it clearly has a double meaning, mm -hmm. if, you, if you will. Uh, right as in conservative, but right as in moral and just not doing things that we shouldn't be doing. And, and it is really in the military community it is very hard to, to hear a bunch of people because my generation of military people, I'm not in the military, but my husband is, as we know, but the people I know from the military, these are people from enduring freedom, Iraqi freedom. So it's people generally wrapping up their careers if they haven't already retired. And a lot of these people are starting to question what they were doing to begin with and who they were really serving. And I feel like we shouldn't be leaving people with the idea that our country isn't what we thought or what we had hoped it to be. So we need to make sure that our government aligns with our values. We need to stop doing things that are immoral and we need to replace the current government in order to do that. So make America right again is about getting the right people in office in order to make sure that we are living out what we are claiming to be. And that is a country of justice. I share your uh, your sort of nostalgia for the 80s and 90s. I said uh, not long ago, and I, and I think a lot of people resonate with it, that uh, the America that I grew up in would invade the America that I live in. Um, we used to sort of have a sense of right and wrong. We wanted to be the good guys. Do you know of any foreign countries that are taxing their citizens in order to send aid to help American homeless vets or to make sure that uh, our military is well-stocked with supplies? Are anybody across the world taking money from their citizens and sending it to the United States, or is that a one-way street going away from us? Mm. I think you know the answer to that. I think your listeners know the answer to that. It's it's so strange that that never comes up. I don't know why we don't ever have that question. I just want to know why why are we the piggy bank for the entire world? How do we end up in there? Maybe because we used to be the, the good guys. Um, but I don't know. I feel like that. I'd like to have somebody in Congress that's asking those questions on the floor. That'd be that'd be fun for me. I just want to have difficult questions for uh, people who don't want to answer them. That'd be fun. You think? You could, you could be that person. Uh, tell people the social media handles. We gave the website, folks, is in the live chat. You can follow and click through there. It's also in the show description. Um, but give people your social media handles where they can interact with you or where they can follow you and and uh, and support your campaign. Well, I'm on Facebook, although I'm not really on Facebook all that often. It's just it's you get you don't get the reach that you get from other platforms. So that is Mara Macy for Congress. My handle on Twitter, Getter and Truth is at Mara Macy. I am, or I should say X. I am most likely to be found on X. And you can see most everything else I, that tweets out or posts, I guess, on Twitter or on Getter and Truth is just what I put out on Twitter. So what, why most likely on Twitter? People always ask me that. I'm curious what your answer is on that, too. It's the reach. It's the reach. And not only can I reach and this is. I was never on Twitter for years, but uh, after my last campaign, I realized the best way to, to get things out and to 
reach across states just nationally is to be on Twitter because you can interact with them and and you're more likely to be able to get through to someone uh, may not be the person you want, maybe a troll, could be a bot. I, I kind of uh, like that though. Is that, is that your instinct too? The people that don't agree with you is the reason why you go to where they are? Yeah. Yeah. That's how you get to, again, growing up in Massachusetts, you can't understand people's points of view if you don't listen to them. And I'm not one to be angry or mad at someone for having a different point of view, but I just want to be able to have a conversation about why we feel the way we feel and how we can possibly compromise in certain aspects, because some things you can't compromise in. A lot of my values, I refuse to compromise in. But if I understand where you're coming from, I might be able to help you understand where I'm coming from. And Maybe sometimes you hope to persuade someone to change their mind, but I think Twitter is the place for that. Um, I just, there are so many people there and there's a lot of good information there. Now, of course, there's still shadow banning and it, it is real. I have a post that I had up there for months and I'm telling you, it was a post about an election book from 2006. The book was published and it was about the 2004 election and it didn't get anywhere. Everything would get so much further. It didn't matter what it was. But this book, it's like they don't want people to read it. So, you know, if anybody is on X out there, go right over to my profile because I have it pinned again. It is it is uncanny between this book and what happened in 2020. What is the book called? It's called Was the 2004 Presidential Election Stolen? Interesting. And it's, so it's it's not about 2020. It's uh, a parallel, you think? Oh, it's not just a parallel. It's almost like a playbook. Mm -hmm. There is a portion of it that talks about an election in Georgia that didn't match up with the exit polls. A lot of this book does focus on exit polls, but it also goes into the machines and how there could be Easter eggs which go off on the day of the election that switch votes. There's There's a lot in this book written by Democrats. Might I might I add because Bush one oh four, Bush one oh four, and yeah. a lot of people automatically go to go to Gore. It's not Gore, it's Kerry. And I will I will tell you after reading this book, I I'm not going to say Bush one. I'm not. I you think John Kerry plastic face? <laughs> <laughs> He's so good. Believe me, I saw the day of the election. I was in Boston and I saw him there and I was just like, go away. Like I, John, I John Kerry would have made a great presidential mask for like the guys in Point Break. You know, there's like the <laughs> iconic Ronald Reagan. He would have been an iconic like rubber face presidential mask that people could Kyle, wear. For. Kyle, did Ted tell you to mention Point Break? No, but that's what do you know what my son's name is? No, don't even. His name is Bodie. Oh. People, and people Can said, I just, I'm going to tell you right now, I wish I could get that two hours of my life back. The, Ted was like, you have to, I love Point Break. You have to see it. The real Point Break with Keanu Reeves. Yes, and, Keanu Reeves. It was horrible. The acting was terrible. Listen. You shame know. on you. That's an un-American no, position to hold. The chat is going to light you up. The chat is going to light you up for that because that is a terrible position to hold. We disavow that opinion. We let all opinions on except uh, any negativity about Point Break that has to be cast out. If Ted is listening, he is dying laughing. Johnny right Utah yeah. is is the is actually the bad character. I, I named my son after Patrick Swayze's character because people said, you know, wasn't he the bank robber? And I go, yeah, he's the guy that beat the FBI and got away. That he's the good guy. 
And uh, as an FBI whistleblower, that's a funny thing for me to be able to say. I I named him before I was a whistleblower. By the way, <laughs> it, it's so it's so uh, apropos of my situation right now. But it if is. you don't like Point Break, I need you to adjust yourself before you win any sort of primaries. It's very important. Yeah. This I mean, is, can't Ted carry us for both of this? He loves it. He had it on DVD. I think defer, I threw it Defer out. to his opinion or let him give his opinion on all Point Break related things. Everything else you said makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> I really appreciate <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. I'm glad that we found the one thing that uh, that you guys had that's a divide and that your husband is going to really appreciate about our show. So you can, you can refer yeah. him to this interview. <laughs> he did I not mean, put me not up to that. I had no idea. It's just Point Break is important to my life. Well, go ahead over to my my ex account and it is pinned at the top. Anybody that wants to read this book, because there is even like I was saying, there's even a point where they're talking about the elections in Georgia and that we got involved. We got our money involved and they talk about they stormed the parliament and they won. They got the the election results changed. And I, I just sat there with my husband and I said, this sounds like they, they were thinking about this situation when they set up January 6th. They knew it could go one of two ways and they wanted to make sure it didn't go one way. That is so wild. And the word stormed is mm-hmm. so important. Uh, folks, stick around. You'll see why that's going to be really important right now. Uh, if you want to go to uh, the Twitter account, it is M-A-R-A-M-A-C-I-E, Mara Macy on Truth and on social, uh, what is it? Uh, Truth Social on uh, Twitter and X. Fantastic. Uh, Follow her there if you want to know more, if you want to engage, if you want to agree, if you want to tell her about how great Point Break is, please do that on my behalf. Just flood flood her side so that she, uh, so her husband Ted knows what's going on and give him that support. We all need that support as husbands. Uh, Mara Macy, thanks so much for joining me this morning. I really did appreciate talking to you. I hope you'll come back and we'll talk with people like Mark Hout and Victor Avila. We're going to we're going to support some primary challenges here on the Kyle Serafin Show. Thanks, Kyle. It's good talking to you. Likewise. Have a uh, blessed day. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, folks, we're going to pivot. It's going to get wild here. If you have not uh, if you have not hit the like button on Rumble, please do so. Things are about to get wilder. We're going to talk Tranifesto. We're going to talk why I don't think it is a manifesto. First, we're going to say thanks to our friends over at Patriot Coolers. I've got a video here, but I just want to talk Patriot Coolers. Maybe Ryan will pull up the webpage. PatriotCoolers.com. You can do a slash discount slash Kyle or just use the promo code K-Y-L-E. It'll get you 10% off. We're actually going to try to work out a special deal because uh, because Christmas is coming up. They pay me a little percentage of the uh, of, of the sales. I want to just make that part of the discount. So we'll see if they can make that happen. PatriotCoolers.com. Check them out for Christmas gifts, uh, for your everyday use. I just actually ordered up three more out of my pocket because uh, I really do like their products. They're going to be sitting on the desk. I've been using them since 2016, 2017. Started using them on surveillance. The most important things when you are a surveillance agent in the FBI, they are radio and a pee bottle and a cup of coffee. Without those things, you cannot be a surveillance agent. Everything else is negotiable, binoculars, video camera, all the other stuff. Make sure you guys check them out. PatriotCoolers.com, promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, 10% off. It says Patriot right on the front. I just got the 50 quart. That's the small one, Ryan. That's not that's the, that's the 20 quart. I'm a 50 quart guy. It sits in the back of my minivan, and it is highly effective for keeping your Costco groceries frozen. Or if you're like my wife, she does uh, this thing called Azure Drop, where we pick up goods out of the back of a truck feels like a mafia rig. Anyway, uh, patriotcoolers.com. Really appreciate them for sponsoring and supporting us. Get that done, folks, if you're looking for something good. Okay, let's get rowdy. Are you ready to get rowdy, Ryan? We're going to get, uh, we're going to pivot and we're going to do double, basically double show for you folks, because this stuff is also super important. Let's talk about who was Audrey Hale. It's come back into, uh, into sort of glaring relief that we had a very strange instance happen 
in Nashville, Tennessee, outside of Nashville, Tennessee, a transgender, a female identifying as a male shot up a Christian school. We did an episode with uh, Real Steve Friend talking about the Super Bowl of masculinity. Some of you guys saw that, uh, praising the hero cops that came in and shut this thing down. CNN going back, uh, we had to go back into March of this year so we could talk about who is this girl? This article you're seeing on on the uh, the main page now. Nashville shooter was a childlike obsession with staying a child, her college classmate says. Um, yeah, okay, fair enough. She's a 28-year-old former student at that school. We're going to show some footage of it, which is a little bit nasty. We're going to talk about the things that were released by Steven Crowder very shortly. Uh, she apparently lived with her parents. The things that I found that were very interesting, because I don't think they've been really discussed. She had uh, a, a bunch of guns. That was She bought them from five different gun stores in the area. That was well-known. She was a part-time grocery shopper and she was a sort of like failed artist or aspiring artist in the graphic design space. This is not the kind of person that we generally would profile out to say this person is going to go and shoot up anything. Said an online portfolio shows a collection of her work, images with professional logos, cartoon animals, an apparent self-portrait, and one image entitled uh, To Be a Kid Forever and Ever. Uh, she apparently had some obsession with her teammates. She was like really stuck on some of her friends that she had a middle school basketball team with. By all accounts, a very sad story. What happened with this girl, that her life was not very uh, successful, that she kind of failed to launch. And then she didn't have really good close connections with people in her life. How that led to sort of a transgender stance and male hormones is another animal. We don't really know, but we are going to break down some of the stuff that was going on there. Um, Let's go ahead and give credit where it's due. Steven Crowder got this released. I don't think it's a manifesto, folks. I don't think that this looks like a manifesto. We got three pages of some journal notebooks, and I'm going to call them journal entries. And the, th the last thing is like an op order. It is a, a breakdown, a timeline, working back from an objective and sharing what she thought she was going to accomplish. It's, it's, definitely, it's definitely concerning. But I don't think that this is a quote-unquote manifesto. If you want to read a manifesto, go read Ted Kaczynski's manifesto, the Unabomber manifesto, which was many, many pages talking about something very important that uh, if you read, you will actually be swayed to say, oh, shoot, uh, Uncle Ted in the cabin was right about all of his diagnoses, his prognoses, his, his pontifications about what was going wrong in this country. He just had a really terrible idea on how to solve it, like sending bombs in the mail is obviously the wrong answer. But a lot of the things that he identified, technology being the problems, we just talked to Mara about it, like the 80s was better than today, and I bet before that was better because it was more analog. It was more human connections. He foresaw a lot of those problems. This is not that manifesto, but we're going to give credit where, where it's due. Steven Crowder definitely knocked it out of the park by at least showing some of the writings and getting a little glimpse into the mindset of this, uh, this poor gal who also became a horrible murderer. So we're going to read like what that change looked like. Uh, and the question we should be asking ourselves is this, because I don't know that I've seen anyone confirm that she was taking male hormones. But if you're taking male hormones in a female body, there's a problem with guardrails, which we discussed yesterday. If you have not seen what it's like to be a young man at 14, 15 years old, to feel the impotent rage that exists in teenage males, and every one of my male audience, you probably know what I'm talking about. If you didn't, you're probably a saint. I have one or two friends who maybe have never been angry, but everybody else experienced being 14, 15, 16 years old. The surge of testosterone in your body makes you pissed for no particular reason. And I think that's what we see in this writing. If you bring up page one, Ryan, uh, we're going to, this is like I said, exposed by Stephen Crowder. You're going to see their watermarks on it. It says the top of it in, uh, in with uh, three exclamation points. If you're not watching on Rumble, this is a good time to check it out. Kill those kids. That's pretty dark. Kill those kids. 
those crackers. So now we're talking about racial slurs, but she's white and she's using white racial slurs. This is sort of that uh, the concern that somebody has internalized CRT, critical race theory, something to that effect. Kill those crackers going to a private fancy schools with those fancy khakis and sports backpacks. Mind you, this is a school that she attended. All right. Like, is there anything weirder than attacking the school that you actually attended? Maybe she had a bad experience, but uh, she misspells the word there. Kind of interesting. She says uh, with their daddy's Mustangs and convertibles. Also very childlike. Uh, I don't know if any of you are looking at cars, but Mustangs are not sort of the standard for for wealth and privilege in this country. It's certainly not uh, what I've seen. Maybe you guys have a different experience, but uh, having a Ford Mustang is is a, is a much lower bar. Uh, the Mercedes-Benz crowd. I actually saw one of my neighbors getting their BMW either repoed or towed off in the dark last night. I assume repoed. Maybe some real hard financial times coming for those who are extended. But man, you could buy almost every pickup truck is going to cost more than a Ford Mustang. So that's kind of a strange thing to, to focus in on. Um, we're going to get a uh, graphic here. So I'm just going to read it as it is. I think it's worth noting. She says, fuck you little shits. I wish to shoot your weak ass dicks and your mop yellow hair. An awful lot of hatred right here. This feels to me like an impotent rage of a teenage boy. It's the kind of thing that an angry teenager would say. doesn't have any particular meaning. I want to fucking kill all of you crackers, again, with the racial slur. And then here's the part that reminded me. I was in the military, guys. I was 27 years old when I enlisted. And when I enlisted, I was surrounded by 17, 18, and 19-year-old kids. And when you hear them really angry, whether they be Marines or airmen or, or sailors or soldiers... I don't know what you call Coasties. Coasties. Whenever you see really, really angry late teens males with a lot of testosterone that signed up to do violence and join the military, the word faggots is used all the time. It is used regularly. It is used as a pejorative for you not doing your job. It has almost nothing to do with homosexuality, by the way. It is just something that is like it's inherent in military culture, but it's also inherent in being a young, angry man. And all this stuff screams impotent rage to me. Um, if you'll throw it back on the screen for one more second, right at the top right-hand side, you'll see it's signed Aiden. This is a journal entry from 2-23-23. This is a month and a half before she went on that shooting rampage and she signed it with a male name, trying out a male signature is what it looks like. This is a female move. Ge uh, in, in general, I would say journaling is something that is more prevalent in women than men. I know far more women that keep journals and notes like this than men and write little notes to themselves. Uh, men either kind of stuff it down, but she's got male rage. This is a male rage. Uh, and at the end of it, it ends with your white privilege. And again, F you faggots. Uh, that, like I say, that word is so familiar to me going through military time and being around a bunch of young guys. It's something my wife and I occasionally uh, drop in because it's just, it's part of that part of our life uh, when we first met. It's so strange that she's doing this. And theoretically, she's transgender and she's doing like homophobic slurs, it doesn't actually make sense. It makes more sense in the context of that. If you'll bring up the second page here, we're going to cover that as well, folks. Um, entitled Death Day, with a picture of a gun on the top of it. If you're watching on the Rumble channel, you can see it. Um, it says, this is the day, you know, it's finally come. And this is full of anticipation. This is Dear Diary. This is Dear Diary stuff. This is very female to me with like male rage uh, talking about how there's some really crazy stuff in this, a little nervous, but also uh, excited. There's a call out to God saying, I hope God lets my wrath overcome my anxiety. That's really weird. It's not normal to write these things. This is someone who's obviously very ill, who doesn't understand what God's principles are about. Um, there's a couple things I want to call your attention to. In the middle of the page, it says, none of that matters now. Um, I'm almost one hour and seven minutes away. And then it says something to the effect of, and I got to lean forward to the screen here, so bear with me. Uh, it says, I almost could have gotten caught. 
Where is that at? I can't see it on here on the screen now that I'm looking at it. Yeah, it's all handwritten here, folks. But basically it says, I almost could have been caught back in 2021. Actually, that may be on the next page. Long and short of it is, she she actually estimates that it's going to be a three to five, three to seven minute shooting spree. I mean, this is someone who's looked at other shootings who have figured out what these things sound like. It's, it's troubling. Um, Ready to die is the last thing on there. Again, signed Aiden. Um, there's something really kind of gross in there too that says, uh, I'm, I'm ready for this day, but I hope my victims aren't. What a horrible and awful, like I said, this is not somebody that is right in the head. That is not how normal people think. And there's a reason why. I want you guys to understand this too. You can drop the page. We'll put up the, the third one in a second, Ryan. The, there's a reason why law enforcement trains to shoot, to treat people who are suicidal as a deadly force scenario. They do. They train to take someone who's already decided that their life no longer matters because they're ready, ready to kill themselves. That person is a liability to others. If it's time to die for you in your head, then it may be time. Other people don't matter either. Like you're not going to be around for it. And that is all over the place in this writing. I want to, I want to jump ahead a little bit. I want to show you guys the video again. So those of us who have been, who have been kind of, uh, spent some time away from it, we're going to watch the video of Audrey Hale going through the doors, breaking the glass. And then I'm going to go through and we're going to hit the timeline a little bit. I think it's also really useful to talk about what it was that she was prepared to do and then what she actually did. Let's see what she did and then work our way backwards to the timeline. Video number four is going to show her going through the glass and going through it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to leave it on the screen. I may say something. I don't even know if there's sound with this, Ryan. Is there sound? Do you know? Yeah. So there it is. A couple of shots, like kicking it through the glass. So we're seeing here, she's doing some pieing of the corners. Not not great entry, but you know she's moving through in a sort of tactical way, at least what she thinks is a tactical way. Opening doors, uh, weapon first, you know, kind of like loses that sort of uh, excitement. Uh, really, really dark to watch, just watching somebody who's in kind of this like body armor, slung weapons, and then cruising through the school. Let's bring up the timeline. That's going to be uh, sheet number three. And so we can see the third sheet from this particular uh, disclosure by by Stephen Crowder's folks entitled Death Day. Like this was a this was a well as well as can be for a non-professional researched scenario. OK, you see a little post-it note on the top right hand side of this thing. It says, uh, lunch may be around 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. And that tells me that there was an update because some additional reconnaissance was done that, uh, you know, I wrote, she wrote out this entire thing. This is what I'm going to do starting at 0630, waking up. That's the desired time of wake up. She put breakfast on there. Um, she put arranging stuffed animals. I mean, this is pretty detailed stuff. Like I said, there's a female component to this. And yet she also has some some sort of tactical considerations that are built in. Uh, leaving a final videotape. I, the suspicion is, at least from me and some of the folks I've talked to, final videotape. We haven't seen any videos at all. Uh, Ryan, have you seen any videos of, that she did of herself? In no, sir. And that more likely is, okay. is probably the manifesto type stuff. Whatever these videos were, final video in, indicates there's other videos, possibly. These are the things that have not been released. And so for the parents to be sort of outraged, we'll talk about that in a second, but talking about setting up stuffed animals, going through and uh, making drive the drive time. I actually did the map from the gun range where uh, she was doing training apparently and had spent some time and maybe even bought some of the firearms uh, to the school. It's about a 21 minute drive with no traffic. She allots 25 minutes on her thing. I mean, this is actually pretty well choreographed with a little bit of buffer zone. Uh, it's dark and it's sick, but I think that the public value of this is actually very high. 
the most important thing that I see on this particular thing is arrive at convent at 12 noon, which is right in the middle of that lunch period, check parking for security. And that seems to me as a go, no go. Check parking lot for security. If you're looking for all the green lights on this horrible plan that she executed, check for security is a piece of it. All right. It goes on and fleshes out like what's going to go on, breaking the glass, um, you know, kidding up, lock and load. We can see some of the stuff lock and load is at 12 something. Um, and then it actually is circled again, time to die, X, X, X. Um, but open fire towards the, uh, the a particular entrance. Like all of this stuff is mapped out in her head. Theoretically, there's also supposed to be some um, notebooks with sketches and maps and things like that. We're told that all that stuff exists. The videos have not been released. I suspect that that's the actual manifesto. This is sort of like an operational timeline. It's part of an ops plan. And so there is certainly more to this and there's certainly public value. If nothing else, this is a pro-gun, anti-gun control argument. And I don't think it is what the left is specifically looking for. I don't think that they knew that this is going to be the big problem, but this is a big problem because if security is there, and let me just say, um, without disclosing too much, I have a, a friend, someone that I speak with multiple times a week who is a retired federal agent that is involved in security for this school and has been after the fact. Because once you put the deterrence in place, these things can't exist in that way. Check for security. If there's a mobile security presence and that person looks like a grown man with or without a beard, with real musculature from being a man their whole life, with a weapon system, backpack, handgun, you know, some sort of identifier of security, plate carrier, are you going to go and play that game that this woman did? And I don't think she is. I think she actually indicated there was a decision point there. We would call that uh, like sort of a, a fork in the decision tree. She could have decided, I got to go another day. Or no security. No one's going to intercept me before I get my mission started. I'm ready to go. I got three to seven minutes and I'm going to kill as many people as I can. And and she did. She, she killed six people, folks. So she was successful in doing something horrific. She was shut down much faster than she would have otherwise been because of the brave guys that were in that police department that responded. Go check out our episode called The Super Bowl of Masculinity. Me and Steve Friend break down that video in a very good way. But this stuff is not the reveal. Like I said, don't call it a manifesto. I don't think that's what it is. And it's worth us knowing that that is the case, that we are dealing with something that is slightly different than maybe the media has pointed it out to be. Okay, we're going to keep pushing forward. I want to talk about something that was in there. One of the things that was in there was a, uh, a gun range. Okay, and I want you to get a, a sense of the, the type of things that you should be looking for when you're at a gun range. And they're not just like, she's not shooting in the backyard. She was at a range that is actually like a really nice range. Here it is, okay? Supposedly, this is one of the places that she went and did her final preparation. This is called Royal Range USA uh, outside of Nashville. They, they refer to themselves as Nashville's five-star premier training academy and firearms destination. Look at this. That's a really nice pro shop. I don't know how many gun shows or gun stores you guys go into. It's a super nice indoor range, even though I really don't like it. They've obviously got some outdoor range capabilities. The facade is cool. This is a nice looking place. This is not like a, like a, you know, a basement training facility or somebody's backyard where she was going out there and nobody knew she was there. This is a place where there's probably video footage of her training and, and maybe some of that stuff may need to be shared as well. I would imagine that they actually have videos. They obviously have videos for this, um, 
you know, for their promotional piece. But my guess is, is that most gun stores tend to have pretty good security because they're worried about it. There's law enforcement training there. They have force on force scenarios. You're seeing some of this on the screen right now. They've got, you know, indoor training where you could do some more free scale movement, not just the static range. This is a place where dynamic training could happen. I'd be very curious to know if she got any of that, but you can see they've got classrooms, they've got uh, ongoing stuff. There's police that are involved there in and out. Um, by all accounts, like this is a place that you want to go to, you know, and, uh, and very interesting that she chose not to go to some fringe, you know, backyard or somewhere that was, uh, you know, some neighbor or friend or out in the country. I don't know how much public land is in Tennessee. I suspect not very much, but there's serious people going there to do serious training. I used to be part of one of these things out in Manassas and they're really nice. And, uh, so she wasn't taking this thing in a non-serious way. So you don't discount what's going on, but we should all be aware of the types of people that are training around us. And you never know. You never know when just a conversation is going to deter somebody. That woman apparently had a difficulty connecting with folks. And maybe just one conversation at a gun range steers her a different way. It's my it's my ongoing request to you. And it doesn't matter whether it's about running for office. It doesn't matter whether it's about um, avoiding conflict. You need to go out and meet your neighbors. And one of the reasons that that happens is because you put off threats like this. What if you could just make a human connection and that deters somebody from doing something awful like this? We all have that responsibility. It's something that we used to do in uh, in the 80s. I'm seeing in the, in the chat right now, how does someone pay for that many guns? 28 years old, doesn't have any overhead, You know, lives with mom and dad, works as a part-time grocery shopper, kind of weird, uh, maybe some graphic design. It's not that important. I mean, it's not that expensive to go buy a number of firearms. She had a, a pretty cheap high point. She had a budget um, AR-15 that she took into the actual shooting. So I don't know, a couple thousand dollars is not that hard to come by if you have no other expenses. Uh, we're going to we're gonna continue down this. We're going to talk about uh, the why we think this is probably a legitimate thing. I'm going to have the, uh, Ryan show those up in just a second. But before we do, I want to say thanks to another one of our sponsors. We're going to say thanks to 4Patriots, 4Patriots.com. Use promo code Kyle. Again, we keep it simple for you guys. 4patriots.com, promo code Kyle. This is some of the great stuff they've got on there. We got some of their survival food in our house. Ryan's going to show you a little click here on their one-year survival pack. If you guys want to just like do a fire and forget, one year worth of survival food. There's tons and tons of calories built into this thing. Uh, 2,700, over 2,700 servings. So you just kind of put it in, a, in an area and you go, okay, I got that covered for now. These things are guaranteed to last you for 25 years. So just like an MRE, um, but not the military food, which you probably have gotten sick of if you've ever eaten a lot of MREs. It's quite easy to be done with MREs for the rest of your life if you've had to live on them for any period of time. So you got a bunch of different options and uh, check them out. Use our promo code. You're going to get a discount on it as well. But uh by all means, solve the problem and basically put one of those things away so you don't have to have a bunch of worries like, oh, do I have enough guns? Do I have enough ammo? Do I have enough food? You can actually solve those problems right up front. Uh, is there going to be civil unrest? Will the water turn on and off? Those are other problems. You can get filtration, things like that. They've got all kinds of great options for you. They've got, um, you know, they've got some electrical solutions too, like solar generators. I can't speak to their reliability. I haven't used them, but I've had people review them. They've got some Navy SEALs that have gone out there and, and talked on their behalf. So check out for Patriots, pretty straightforward. It's, there's an S on the end of it, forpatriots.com. Again, use promo code Kyle wherever you go with our sponsors. We always kind of keep those going. <laughs> I see Tac P in the uh, in the chat always saying that there's some MREs that he'll eat every day. You're sick, my friend. That is, a, that is what's called institutionalized. That was covered in the Shawshank Redemption really well. People who just will eat MREs every day, they have something wrong with them. <laughs> just saying... Uh, it's not Michelin star rated food, folks. Survival food is trying to do something. It's trying to keep you alive while you're doing something else. Um, let's press forward. Let's talk about this. 
Are these pictures real? Ryan, will you show the pictures in full scale again? Do you have them uncropped in any way? Can we put them up uncropped? If possible. I got it working on it. One of the things that makes me think these are legit, uh, and one of them is that they're actually investigating the person who leaked it. That's a pretty good indicator. When we're investigating the leak, but we're not uh, solving the problem, if you can show above, and uh, I want to see the top part, not on the page itself. I want to zoom out on them. The uh, the interesting thing of these photos that Crowder put out there and, and may have actually exposed the person that was doing it because it shows where the photo was taken. They were taken in the passenger seat of a law enforcement vehicle with law enforcement in the background. You can actually see, um, show the other one, Keep scroll through them. I'll try and try and call it out where it is. It's the top left-hand corner of one of the pictures actually shows you that there it is. There's a police car in the background. This was taken probably while gathering evidence. If you guys see that, if you're looking on our Rumble channel right now, you're seeing that there's a police SUV up in the top corner. This was likely a cop either standing in the passenger seat or standing outside of a vehicle as they were looking through this, trying to make sense, heads or tails of what was going on. One of the things you'd have to find out is, is there another threat? Is there a possible another shooter? Is this a conspiracy that involves more? The minute that they outruled that and they said that this was not, you know, the, the shooter is dead on scene, that dead person has no expectation of privacy. There's no reason why the public interest does not outweigh, you know, the concerns about, I don't know, like upsetting the family. But that's what they, they went with. Let's pull up uh, that topic from Fox News here. Fox News was reporting uh, yesterday after this leaked that they were very concerned about, uh, you know, what what the uh, purported leak was, what it said, what it didn't say. And uh, let me move over to my other camera angle here. Three pages re released supposedly from the manifesto. Like I said, I think these are just from notebooks. Apparently she had many of them, not a manifesto in my opinion. I'm going to reiterate that over and over, hence the title of the show. Uh, they were aware of the leak. That's what the Nashville authorities say. Um, <laughs> there's some crime scene photos that it, that's what it really looks like. Crime scene photos of some unverified document is what they're calling it. Uh it does let us know that it was planned, that it was obviously set up and moved in motion. The uh, the police spokesperson said, we're aware of the assertion. However, they were not willing to confirm the document's authenticity and that the authorities are, in fact, uh, investigating. It's going to be a real interesting move right here because Crowder exposed this thing. And by showing the photo the way they did, may have exposed the individual who took that picture, probably from a cell phone, most likely somebody who said, we've got to get this out. Like they could bury this. Obviously, they did. The question is going to be, does the public good outweigh it? Was there money involved? Was somebody in law enforcement paid off? Did they get paid off for those photos? Because if so, that's probably going to be a real problem for that individual. We should probably be aware of that. But if somebody said there's public good here, I've been sitting on this a long time. It needs to be public that, that, that uh, someone needs to see it. The fact that they chose to go to Steven Crowder is kind of interesting as well. Probably a Crowder fan. They're in Tennessee. They could have gone to somewhere like Daily Wire and done it in print but they chose to go otherwise. There's a lot of information that you can kind of do just looking at who the leak was to, what is in the picture that's around the actual leak and, um, and you know, and the timing of it. Uh, long and short of it is they're not happy. The establishment is not happy about it. The, the parents had a spokesperson come forward who apparently is a speaker for the uh, Southern Baptist Convention or something to that effect, um, an attorney who's also a a parent at that school and basically said that this was disrespectful to the kids, that they were doing it for clout. They were releasing this, uh, this information for clicks. I think there's a strong argument to, to be made that there's a public value here. Like I said, if nothing else, it reinforces that this particular shooter took into account whether school security existed. We covered it a little while ago. The state of Texas has now mandated that there is a uniform security officer or, um, a federal officer or a security guard that is armed and, and trained in a specific way on every single Texas government school. I think that's important. And I think that this, this leak, this timeline 
actually reaffirms the things that those of us who are pro-gun are interested in, which is to say, is there a way to harden schools? How do you protect against an, a, a black swan event like this? This is what we would call a low probability, very high gravity scenario. And you do it by putting certain hedges in place. Um, and, and and so you've got to make sure that people have the, the evidence and the documentation that will support the decision to fund a security guard, which is not necessarily cheap, that they have the, the time to go out and get good training, which is also very important. You need, we have a lot of veterans right now that are homeless. Some of them are met with mental illness. Some of them are down on their luck, but there's an awful lot of veterans that are looking for a reason to exist. We lose 22 uh, veterans on average a, a year, sorry, a day <laughs> through suicide. When you're losing that many people that have some skill sets that could be employed, that you could give them a new mission to defend American schools. And in the meantime, we're sending all this money over to Ukraine. I know I'm touching, you know, talking points that have been covered many times, but this is actually concrete evidence from one very, very horrific shooting that says school security matters. Having a security guard with capabilities would potentially have deterred and saved three children and three adults' lives. We can't take that lightly. We can't just dismiss it. And the idea that this was chasing clout how many of us have been asking for it? As Steve Friend told me the day before it was released, 223 days. So 224 days it took just to get some basic information on what motivated this person. I don't think it tells necessarily the story that she was CRT indoctrinated. I do think she probably picked up some some leftist ideology and she obviously, but I think it's the, the danger of cross, cross-sex hormones in bodies that were meant not to receive that sort of thing. I think it's really important that we, that we say what it is and what it is not. Um, the other thing is, is, you know, an indication that she could have been disrupted in 2021. There's a possibility that that's just what we would call guilty knowledge. When you're a surveillance agent, you learn this very early on that when people look at you and you do, you're doing something like if I'm if I'm put in place to watch you, if that's my job to surveil you and you look at me and make eye contact. A normal human being goes, oh, God, they know they know I'm looking at them, but. Imagine if you're walking through the grocery store and you're just looking at people, you make eye contact with all kinds of strangers. And if they look at you and nod, good morning, hello, hey, hey, frozen pizza over that way, whatever innocuous conversation you have, that is not you going like, oh, that's probably a fed. They're probably watching me. Most people don't do that. The guilty knowledge is because the subject who is who's feeling something believes something that's not true and projects it on the outside world. There's a very real chance that the I almost got caught in 2021 is guilty knowledge being projected and it's not real. It's not a real threat. It's not a real possibility, but it's worth covering because I covered it yesterday on Twitter and uh, probably 200,000 of you saw it. Um, I want you to know that the FBI was doing something very different than looking for transgender school shooters. I'm not hundred percent sure I want the FBI doing that anyway, but this is what they were doing. Ryan, we got the full screen here. So let's go ahead. This is a, a, a wild, an absolutely wild thing that may be news to you. This was training that was put on by the FBI. It was put on uh, in 2021. It was released in maybe March or April, and it was pulled down before I started my new duty station in June. It was pulled down because it was so poorly received that nobody wanted this. This is FBI training coming from what we call Virtual Academy. It is screenshots from the actual virtual training, computer-based training. And if you want to see how far our federal law enforcement has fallen, you you really have to join us on the Rumble channel here to see it. We're 82 minutes into this podcast right now, 82 minutes in, the audio is not going to suffice. We are looking at a lead slide entitled Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity. This course is sponsored by the Office of Diversity and Inclusion and was created with assistance from Bureau Equality. 
Bureau Equality is a lobby within the FBI lobbying on behalf of radical gender ideology. This stuff is going to blow some of your minds. If you have not seen this before, strap in. This is what your federal tax dollars are spending on. We're going to just scroll through this thing. I've just got it up. It's a PowerPoint in this way, but it basically shows up as a, as a um, decision tree and an online training. Many of you guys have done these for work. The objectives of this particular training were to provide awareness of the LGBT plus community and to promote inclusive workplace environment. That's what you want your FBI agents doing, right? Uh, someone in the chat just said it's pretty gay. That's true. Terms for sexual orientation and gender identity, which is SOGI. That's their, their analogy. I'd never heard that one before, but that's an FBI thing for you. Uh, they love acronyms. Appropriate behaviors for the inclusive work environment and how to be an ally, because that's what's most important. Here are the, uh, the, the fundamental argument on why you should be inclusive. Inclusion is mission essential. Not uh, fairness, not obedience to the Constitution, not uh, law enforcement skills, not excellent uh, ability to plan missions or abiding within the Bill of Rights. No, inclusion, something that is made up in the last 10 years, is mission essential. LGBT plus employees are members of the FBI's diverse workforce, and therefore you have to remember that the LGBT plus community is very diverse and it's always evolving, probably because it's made up. These, this course cannot cover every hypothetical situation. However, it will give you a broad range of an overview of ground rules for engaging with each other with respect. Is it so respectful to do these weird things? And so we're going to move past some of these things. They talk about the definitions of things like gender identity. Uh, they, they cover sex assigned at birth. These are leftist, far leftist talking points. Okay, radical leftists. There's a thing here. What is LGBT plus? They're going to tell you that they're going to give you the spectrum on one side, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. On the other side, the plus part is queer, intersex, asexual, non-binary. I mean, come on, folks. Is this really where it is? Is there a difference between orientation and identity? Yes, they go and they tell you what those are. There's some, you know, do you want to know more stuff? This is very like Starship Troopers, except uh, instead of showing fascists, they show gender fascists that these are. There's a, a color wheel of where you fit in the the uh, sexual orientation in case you wanted to also be someone questioning your identity. The, one of the bullet points here says a transgender woman, male to female, is attracted to straight men. They're giving you like, like a pick a mix of how crazy leftist gender ideology you can be. Um, I have a video coming out with the friends over at Catholic Vote pretty soon that talks about all this stuff. This is one of the facets of a captured, ideologically captured um, government entity. This stuff gets really, really deep into the weeds, by the way. if you This is as radical as anything you would find on any insane leftist college campus. Gender identity is your deeply held sense of being either a man or a woman or something else. That's what I need. I need a deeply held sense of something. Don't worry about facts or biology. That's totally irrelevant as a, as a nominally constitutional agency. Um, assigned male at birth, their gender identity is man, and that's a cisgender. So they define what a cis and a transgender person is. This stuff just gets uglier and weirder and weirder. The best are when they start talking about, here you go, transgender descriptors. When writing or talking about a transgender person, it's important to keep in mind that the word transgender describes a person, but does not define or name a person. We're just getting into the deep, stupid weeds. This is what we would call retarded in the 80s, that we're going to sit here and play this game in a federal government agency. Do not call someone, quote unquote, a transgender, which is really funny, by the way. It's like, like that's a transgender. Like, I feel like we all do that when you're, you're like, is that a transgender or is that not a transgender? Is that a man or is that just an ugly old woman with some masculine features? Unfortunately for like ugly people in the world, transgenders have been the worst thing that could happen because masculine looking women are now up like the, up against the worst and hardest times of their lives. Um, another one, don't add an unnecessary ED 
or an S to transgender. So transgendered or transgenders are not appropriate. Here's a good example. They are a transgender person. You can say that. He's a transgendered man is a no-go. She's a transgender is a no-go. They are transgenders is a no-go. This stuff is crazy. There's a knowledge check, right? So they had all these different, uh, you know, true or false, yes or no. They are a transgender person. Is this sentence grammatically correct? Is your made up compelled speech correct? I'm scrolling through all this stuff. You guys can can come and find this. We did have this. Uh, I think it's going to be posted. A lot of the stuff will actually be in Michael Waller's new book that's coming out. And you guys can see it all in printed form, probably with color. The transgender convert. The transgender community is diverse. Is this a dramatic, uh, grammatically correct statement? I was like, what in the world? We're going to scroll down through a couple of these things. Let me uh, let me bump to this. This is fun. I always wondered this. So now they're answering questions many of you may have. Is queer a derogatory term? And we're not talking about smear the queer, the person who has the football in the 80s football game that I did when I was a kid. The word queer has generational significance. It's been embraced by some members of the LGBTQ plus community, but it's historically also been a derogatory term. Oh, so it's confusing and we're still confused. This is the best. I'm telling you, this is FBI stuff that came right out of their training. If any of you have any doubts within the FBI workforce and the LGBT plus community, they may find it offensive or a reminder that of the pain that it infers. So bizarre. Uh, the, mirror the language of the person that you're talking with. Yes, because compliance with radical gender ideology is a part of it. They talk about gender expression. That means like how people dress, apparently. They've got a picture of suits. There's more knowledge checks. These are more questions. I'm going to get to some of the really uh, outlandish stuff on here. Knowledge check. These are great. I am a proud queer black woman. This is your federal government. This is your tax dollars paying for a statement, letting you know whether or not this is correct. That is not derogatory, according to the FBI. Gender identity is a person's physical, romantic, or emotional attraction to persons of the opposite gender, the same gender, or more than one gender. That's false, according to the FBI. Uh, LGBT, what it stands for, gender expression always aligns with a person's gender identity. That's false, according to the FBI. They are telling you, what is what is right and what is wrong? Can I ask a person if they're LGBT? Here's some boundaries. Ask yourself, is it any of my business? You know how I know it's my business, folks? Hold on, let me just go full screen on this because this is so true. Do you know how I know it's it's my business whether or not you're transgender? Because you wear it on your freaking pins and you tell me your pronouns up front and you act like a complete lunatic. Like you are making it my business. I could care less in reality in the same way I could care less about two men living together and calling themselves husband and husband. I don't care. It's when you start introducing children or you want to compel my speech that I care. Jordan Peterson has always been right about this thing. I want to go back to this stuff because it's crazy. Ask myself, would I ask a straight cisgender coworker these same questions? If you don't think that the FBI is a captured ideologically like rolling in the crazy federal agency, this stuff should absolutely sway your opinion. There are questions about the following, and they're inappropriate and offensive to talk about genitals, surgeries, medical conditions, medical treatments, preferred sexual acts. Like, how about keep your sex at home like normal people did for almost all of human history? Like, what you do in your bedroom is your bedroom business. You're the ones who brought your weird sexual orientation into the workplace, and now it's part of the discussion. There's all this stuff. What is your real name? Is it inappropriate? Um, you mean your real name is not uh, Mac Montana? Your real name is something else that you actually had a, like a female name given to you at birth? Go figure. Is that or is that not a real FBI agent? Nobody knows. Um, she may or may not work in Washington, D.C. Um, are you in the right restroom? Yeah, I think that's a valid question. But just think about this. A female coming into the dude's restroom. Is that like your biggest? I don't know. Like, I feel like like 80s pornography used to do that. 
Um, that's pretty silly. Have you had surgery? Are you going to get surgery? Oh, what do you have down there referring to genital? This stuff is crazy. Uh, but this is all put out for the FBI. Here you go. If you don't think I'm right, uh, just follow some of the FBI Twitter feeds. Personal beliefs. Refer to the FBI's non-discrimination policy, their core values. Apparently a core value includes uh, either being a trans person, a tranny, or uh, celebrating gay stuff. There you go. You notice there's the fidelity, bravery, integrity, which the FBI seems to lack. There is a, a, uh, a booth set up somewhere where they're trying to do some recruiting. Not an American flag in sight. There's a rainbow and there's like a, like a, a pastel rainbow as well. And some gender-confused person wearing an FBI shirt. Perfect. <laughs> Focus on appropriate behavior, not beliefs. Mission statement to protect the American people and uphold the Constitution. Apparently, that's the least valuable of those three. As at the beginning, focus on accomplishing the mission. And apparently, if you believe these people, uh, mission success depends on you getting the right pronouns. There's a bunch more pro stuff on here that are scenarios. Just throw you a couple others. There's there's literally a section on pronouns. You could pull this out of any radical gender ideology professor and see it. Pronoun hints. If you don't know, politely ask. What pronouns do you use? How about I don't use pronouns to people. I use their name and I talk to them. How about you worry about being a professional and stop violating the the, uh, the oath of office and the constitution? Pronoun greetings. They have an example. This stuff is craziness. Hello, my name is Kathy. I use she, her pronouns. What's your name? Oh, they didn't even ask what the pronouns are. Why doesn't that person give pronouns? This is best. When, uh, when an example of an appropriate greeting for a special agent who's interviewing someone whose ID doesn't match how they dress and act, their gender expression, you can say, quote, I'm Special Agent Jones. I use he, him pronouns. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. First, what name and pronoun should I use to refer to you? End quote. I almost want to read that again, how stupid that is. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But these are the types of things that we are trying to shove down the throats of people who have 20 plus years in law enforcement. I'm Special Agent Jones. I use he, him pronouns. <laughs> what name and pronouns shall I use to refer to you? I would have vomited. I don't know if I would have made it through the FBI Academy if they put this down the, the pipe there. By the way, FBI students at the Academy had to take this training. It's worth noting, it was so poorly received by FBI employees that they actually pulled it from the servers without telling anybody. This was compulsory and mandatory training. I skipped it knowing that I was never going to take it. I moved across the country. And when I did, they had pulled it down by the time I got to the new division in Albuquerque. What if I mess up? Oh, it's okay if you mess up. Just apologize, correct your mistake, and resolve to do better. This is the ally piece. Just, I mean, are you cringing over there dramatically? It's, it's so bad, Kyle. It is. I went off an LFA yesterday about it. It's horrible. Like most people have never seen all this stuff. Like you haven't seen this in your private workforce. The federal government is shoving this stuff down. How about this one? Transitioning colleagues. How do you respect your transitioning colleagues' privacy? Treat it like a pregnancy. What? Treat it like a pregnancy. A pregnancy results in a baby. It's a natural biological feature that has happened for all of humankind's existence. <laughs> Treat it like a pregnancy. They're giving birth to their new identity. Let them tell you what is happening in their life. I assume that means don't ask them. Oh, yeah, don't ask them personal inappropriate questions. Um, why? When you see a chick growing a beard, right, and suddenly wearing a men's suit, you've got questions. I've got questions. Uh, you've got a bunch of trained federal investigators that you're telling not to ask questions. Let's just embrace that for one moment. You've got people whose job it is to do investigations <laughs> that are basically trained to ask questions and try to figure out what is going on. What is the reason and the motive behind certain actions? And you're telling them to ignore it. And then maybe they'll go on a shooting spree inside your, your federal, your field office. <laughs> like that's why this is all related folks. Fully insane, totally crazy. Uh, this is people trying to enforce their own insanity on you. 
Here's the correct answer. If you were Zeke, how would you respond? Elmira, that's not, that's not appropriate. You really need to call her Dorothy because it's the right thing to do and you won't get in trouble with OPR. <laughs> I'm new here. Uh, so if you're calling him Daniel, I'll call him Daniel too. Like, what is this shit? There's no other way around it. This is insane. It's so fun. I've, I've read this before, folks. I, like, this is not my first time reading this thing. And every time I read it, I catch something else that just makes me, it just tickles me that this is the insanity. You wonder why the FBI is going after Catholics uh, that are at Latin mass or coming after parents that don't want pornography in schools because the people that are running it, it's a very, very small number of people are doing this wild stuff. They're putting this out there. Don't start rumors. It's never appropriate to start a rumor about any of your coworkers, including their connection to the LGBT plus community. What? Office gossip and rumors can be detrimental to morale. There's nothing that is full of more rumors than an FBI field office. We actually have a name for it. It's called rumor intelligence, rumint. They'll be like, rumint says this. You're attributing it to an actual like style of intelligence collection. Rumint. As FBI employees, we're held to a higher standard, and that standard is full insane. As a best practice, you should get consent. Ask, quote, can I ask you something about being LGBT plus? That's how I talk to people. I just say, hey, can I ask you a question about your gender identity that doesn't match you? I know the other day you were using the women's locker room and you seem to have breasts, but you started wearing men's suits and a weird pronoun thing, and now you have a weird beard. Are you about to snap like Audrey Hale? Have you written your manifesto yet? When are we going to see that? Are there any videos of you in the parking lot getting crazy? Now, uh, inclusive work environment. Support a safe, inclusive, and collaborative work environment. Standing up to discrimination. Politely let others know when they use offensive language and ask them not to do so. Hey, that's not funny, Ryan. I don't know why you're laughing over there. That word is inappropriate. Don't use the word queer, except if someone uses the words queer when it's appropriate. Um, transgender people using the F word. Yeah, don't use it unless they use it, but don't use it because it's inappropriate. That's not funny. It, there's all these people. Look at all this, this inclusive group of people. There they are. Look at them. They're all just inclusively hanging out there. Black lady, white guy, Italian dude in his fifties. Uh, another black lady. We have a lot of black ladies working at the FBI. Blonde lady, uh, dude with a terrorist beard. Like I used to have Uh blonde lady who's gender confused guy who's being hidden by her hair. Yep. There's another lady who's Hispanic. And there's a child, maybe. There's like an old guy who's Middle Eastern. Why not? We love it. We love this. If you guys are not seeing these slides, you're missing out. It is an EEO or an OPR violation. If you've been discriminated against uh, due, due to SOGI status, you need to call the Equal Opportunity Employment Commission, and they will run down and get rid of that evil person. Yeah. So we have an internal police force that's going to come after you for pronouns, even though you're the crazy person. Best practice is always to be professional and respectful. Isn't that it? And then they go into allyship. So what is an ally? Uh, people who are open-minded, people who are good listeners, people who create a safe environment. That's what I need from my FBI. People that are just safe environments and then accept the identities of others. They don't ask questions except when their job is to ask questions, but they do it in a way asking for pronouns. Don't use slang or defamatory language. Use inclusive language. There's a hyperlink there. Anyway, so this goes on and on. This stuff is basically uh, intolerable. Here you go. Do you want to know how to do the extra mile? Show your visible support. Wear an FBI pride. I cannot tell you how many times I got emails from the FBI about how to uh, to order a pride shirt. I was like, how did I get on this? You know what it was for, Ryan? It was a it was a pride shirt mailer list, and they sent it to every person that was listed as a veteran in the FBI. And I asked to be removed from that list. I'm like, I'm not interested <laughs> in buying your pride shirt. I'm not sure why you're able to sell it um, through FBI official emails on the secret classified side of our of our email servers. So maybe you know, I'm sure that put me on one of the lists. Participate in regional pride events and support field office LGBT plus events, contact your diversity and inclusion coordinator or the Bureau Equality for more information. Are you guys wondering, hey, 
I'm, I'm an American citizen. I paid for this stupid training for the FBI. How do I send the FBI an email and tell them what I think? Well, you can. You, too, can participate in this and ask your questions if you have them. Bureau Equality at FBI.gov. That's on UNET. That's the unclassified. Or if you're a, a government employee and you want to send it on the secret side, BE, Bravo Echo, at FBI.sgov.gov. That's the FBI net. That's the, what they call the simpernet for the military. If you're in the member of the military and you want to know where can I be a better... Uh, a better ally, that's how you could do it. Bureau equality at FBI.gov. This is how you end up, this is how you get up. Uh, a really crazy set of federal agents doing things that uh, don't otherwise align with the values you would think. And where does that lead to? It leads to them being okay with confiscating guns because they are already ideologically captured. Let's go ahead and bring up this thing about the Seventh Circuit. There was a, a big decision that was made the other day. This is Breitbart covering it. Uh, Seventh Circuit. AR-15s are not protected. They are not protected, apparently, by the Second Amendment. Who knew? Apparently, Heller and Bruin didn't get it right, even though they are guns in common use. The, the three-judge panel in the radical Seventh Circuit, in this case, has overturned the injunction, which is to say they have reaffirmed Illinois' assault weapon ban on AR-15s. There was a temporary injunction that the, uh, the gun rights groups had gotten. Uh, this is for uh, Barnett versus Raul. The, uh, basically, there was a Trump appointee that put an injunction saying they could not enforce the assault weapons ban. It has now been overturned by the three-judge panel in the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. If you guys are not familiar with the way that the federal government does these types of cases, they start off in the uh, they start off in the what is the, the court called? They go to I can't think of it. Circuit Court. Then they go to the Court of Appeals. And then they um, they can appeal the Court of Appeals decision. If there's one judge who says something, they can move it into what's called a uh, a panel, a three-judge panel. They can appeal that to what's called on-bank review or end-bank review, where all the judges from the Seventh Circuit will weigh in. And then any time in there or after that, the Supreme Court could pick it up and make a decision. This is one of those things that probably will not be able to stand. I'm hopeful that the Supreme Court will pick it up. But as it stands right now, you've had a a a injunction and then a reversal of the injunction because the three-judge panel. Now, this is interesting, too, because we talked about establishment Republicans earlier. Three judges in this panel. One was a Ronald Reagan appointee. One was a Bill Clinton appointee. And one was a Donald Trump appointee. They voted two to one. Can you guess how that vote went? A Clinton appointee and a Reagan appointee were okay with an assault weapons ban. Even though there's pretty, pretty clear language that is done in the last two significant Second Amendment cases that state that you have a right to own guns that are in common use. And the AR-15 is undoubtedly one of the most common guns. It is one in five guns sold today are AR-15 pattern weapons. So I don't know how you go around that, but they tried to argue that because you were able to do a machine gun ban and that the NAFA or the National Firearms Act of 1934 is justifiable, that was the, uh, the argument strain they used, saying because you can regulate uh, machine guns, you could also regulate so-called assault weapons. I don't think it's going to stand. It's not going to work, but it's there. It is there right now. This stuff is, uh, like I said, the establishment, we've got to overturn it. We got to have people in there and let's do a little bit about why the second amendment is so important. So we skipped a couple of videos. I do want you to put this back. These are emotional videos. Ryan, we're going to run through all the videos, probably in order because I think they're relevant. This is a little memory hole for you. If you guys go, hey, um, is the White House really on board with this transgender ideology? The answer is yes. Let's play video number one. They're behind it. That's the reason why it was released in 2021 when the Biden administration stepped in. Number one, this is in the wake of Audrey Hale's shooting in Nashville. All right, go ahead and roll that for me. 
And one of the things that we saw during the midterm elections is that people don't want their freedoms to be taken. They want us to fight for their freedoms. And so it is shameful, it is disturbing, and uh, our hearts go out to uh, the, those, the trans community as they are under attack right now. The hearts go out to the trans community because the trans community was under attack. Not three beautiful little children who were killed at a Christian school and three adults who were working there. That's not the people that our hearts go out to. They go out to the trans community. That is the position of the White House spokesperson, Sideshow Bob, a.k.a. Kareem Jean-Pierre. Hmm. That's an interesting take. Can we do video number two? Does she feel any differently uh, at different times? So Monday, you're going to have three of the lawmakers who protested. After, peacefully protested. Who peacefully protested after the Nashville Covenant School shooting. Have any of the victims or the victims' families been invited to the White House? I don't have anything to, to read out to you about any invite. Why? I just don't have anything at this time to read out to you at any invite. What I can say to you right now is that the president is focused on getting things done. Getting things done means taking guns from you. That's what it's about. Getting things done means addressing the inanimate object, not the people who are mentally ill, not the people that should be honored. The people that should have been at the White House were the cops that went in and intervened and stopped this horrific shooting from taking any any more lives. Okay. Kareem Jean-Pierre wants to know that uh, you're going to have, they're going to have four lawmakers from Tennessee, if you guys remember, there was a big quote unquote insurrection, a sit down and, and, and they they actually had a, a member of the state house thrown out. So they brought them to the White House, not the parents of the victims, of which there were three sets of parents, not the family members of the adult victims, spouses or otherwise, and not the cops that were heroes on that day. They're going to bring lawmakers who are working, working to get rid of guns. That tells you where the focus is of this administration. It is very, very clear, and it's very important that you get yourself prepared. Um, I'm going to play you a video from Vallejo yesterday. We found this. There's a couple of really interesting things. The, the, even the mainstream media, even the local news slants things in ways that are not true. We're going to play video number eight next, and I want you to listen to the last line that the reporter gives. We're going to critique it in a second, but this stuff can happen anywhere. It can happen behind enemy lines in blue states. It can happen in red states, which Tennessee obviously is. They're a pretty pro-gun state. Um, you need to prepare yourself, and we're going to talk about that a little further in just one second, but let's do video number eight first. Alex and Claudine, this happened in broad daylight at a home right around the corner from the Vallejo Police Department. A burglary suspect was shot and killed by the resident of this Vallejo home. So it's scary. It's so dangerous. It's dangerous for me. It's dangerous because we don't know what happened here. It happened near the corner of Georgia and Monterey at about 9.45 Monday morning. Officers spent hours at the scene, diagramming the front porch and the three-bedroom home for evidence. The residence is located not far from the Vallejo Police Department. It's extremely unfortunate, of course, and that it happened around the corner from the police station in the morning. It doesn't make any sense. Athena Miller, like many residents of the city, says the deadly encounter is a grim reminder of the depths some people go to to survive. I'm frustrated and, you know, I mean, it's also like you got to think about why are people breaking into houses anyway? People are desperate. Vallejo police tell me the resident was home when a witness saw the suspect breaking in. Authorities say the resident confronted the suspect and opened fire. 
The suspect was found near the front door. The resident, whose name was not released, was interviewed by police. A neighbor who did not want to go on camera told KTVU he believes the suspect is a neighborhood regular known for yelling and screaming in the area. He yells and screams and is aggravated and, you know, pretty scary at times, you know, uh, pretty, pretty aggressive. He and other neighbors say the suspect is to blame for his own death. If you break in the residence or kick a door and or come into a house, you know, the owner, owner has to fear for their life, obviously. Because he should not be in there. Why is he trying to go in there? Nine o'clock in the morning. You know what I mean? Now, Solano County DA's office will be the ultimate authority in determining whether this was indeed a case of self-defense, guys. Okay, so the Solano County uh, attorneys are going to be the ones who decide if it was self-defense. Is that the way that you guys read the Constitution, too? That reporter just said what people on the political left who live in California, that's a Northern California thing, that's the way that they operate. Mentally, they believe that the attorneys get to decide. If it's charged, then it's guilty. You also heard, this is something very telling. When you live in Northern California, this is why I say you're in a captured area. When you live in California, you believe that you shouldn't go on record and show your face saying someone kicked in the door in broad daylight. They got smoked by being an idiot and that person got what they deserved. You say it from your face off camera. But the woman who is willing to talk on camera said it's so sad. I mean, people are just trying to make ends meet. That person was probably kicking down the door to get a loaf of bread. Then you hear another guy say, yeah, he was known to us. He was a he was a loony. He ran around and was a, a complete a-hole. He fought with people. He screamed. He was very confrontational. And he decided to kick down the door. You think that guy was going in for a loaf of bread or for a glass of milk? He's trying to buy her a cup of sugar. He was doing some baking and he had just run out or he was just starving. He's like freaking Aladdin, right? He's out there just uh, got to get uh, it's just... He's just trying to save himself from starvation by going into somebody's house. I don't think so. But two dangerous things. One, who's willing to go on camera? Who's willing not to? That tells you what kind of world you live in and it tells you what kind of state you live in and whether or not the news media has no concept of what justifies what self-defense is. The attorneys may decide what to charge. They can charge murder or not. They can charge aggravated assault, et cetera. But a jury, or if you choose for a bench trial, a jury or a judge are going to be the one who make that determination. It's so it's so obvious that these people have no sense of how things work. I saw a couple of you guys just jumped on as monthly supporters. want to uh, thank both of you guys. So uh, Christopher WT and also King Squeak, thanks for joining us as monthly supporters on Rumble. Um, <laughs> we'll cover down. We had a couple of good Rumble rants in here, so we'll hit those at the end of the show as well. I want to uh, give you some... Some good news. We're not going to end with the. Uh, we're not going to end. I've got some some Trump polling that looks pretty good, at least for the Second Amendment types. But let's do some funny videos that are going to be uh, useful. Let's drop that off for just one second here, Ryan. I want to throw something. This is why you train. I'm not saying you should do what this guy does, but let's put up video number six. We're going to work our way backwards. Video number six is going to give you a sense. This is what proficiency looks like, people. Look at this guy. Okay, fast draw, single shot, <laughs> mag spin. He's a cowboy. Um, there's a couple of things going on in this. This came from Brownells, which is a, uh, which is a big, uh, firearms accessory seller and they sell parts. They're a gunsmith, uh, source. Uh, I go with Brownells a lot. That guy knows a few things. Number one, he's got a red dot on his pistol. He's doing fast draws and he's training for single shot competency and reloads. Okay. He knows the condition of his weapon. Look, once it's empty, 
He starts doing the spin because he's trying to make a, a good video for you. There's no danger in spinning a weapon where the slide is locked to the rear and there's no magazine in it. Maybe uh, some people don't understand what he's doing there, but he has slide lock back from an empty magazine. So this is a totally safe thing to do. Until you have the level of proficiency to know looking at that video for one second that what he did was safe, I don't recommend you doing silly things like that. But that guy is moving quickly. He's got a, uh, a skill set that is, that is honed and he is mechanically reloading under a fast paced scenario. That's where you want to get to if you want to be someone who carries a weapon. And the reason why is because we're going to show you a scenario in video number five right here. Why you keep your head on a swivel. I'll talk over it in one second, but I want you to see how scary this is. Actually, there's no audio for this. This is a guy. He gets his keys out. He just got out of his car. He just closed the gate. It's a little glitchy, so bear with it. Boom. Look at this guy. Guy with a gun. And what was his move? He threw the coffee cup into that guy's face, distracted him, immediately drew his weapon and was going and firing rounds. This guy either has training or competency. You can see that the door is closing to his uh, to his private garage. These these bandits, whoever the heck they are, ran in there with masks on and immediately drew weapons on this dude. And he responds with a fire. He gets to the back of the vehicle. That's where you want to be. We'll do a whole segment on that. I'm not 100% crazy with him uh, moving there in front of those windows. None of those doors will stop bullets for what you guys, if you want to know, you got to get uh, behind the, the A pillar, the B pillar, the C pillar, or the D pillar of an SUV because the SUVs actually have a D pillar as well. You want to get behind the major pillars, but that dude moved fast. Roll it one more time. Look how fast this happens. You always need to be aware of your surroundings. He's got a coffee cup. He's going for his keys. He's not going for a gun. He's just going to get in. And his first move is distract and draw. Look, distract with coffee cup, gun out, and he's immediately shooting on the threats that had firearms that were re retreating. This is a justifiable use of force because that person you can articulate is re uh, is retreating to the, uh, the sort of the tactical advantage of cover. They're looking, look, he actually goes for cover right there, but he fires rounds over his shoulder. This dude is up on it. He is prepared. And that is a absolute nightmare scenario where somebody sneaks in over the back of your fence while you're just trying to get in and open the door. You can see that the gate was just closing, right? He picked a good position. Get yourself training so that if something like this were to happen to you, he's in, he's in California, by the way. If something like that were to happen to you, you're prepared to react the way that you should. Wherever you're going, what are your hands doing? Why are there keys in there? Are your keys, are you ready to drop the keys? Are you ready to throw the keys? Are you ready to throw the coffee? Where can you get to your weapon system? You know, how are you going to defend yourself? If you're always aware, you're going to be in much better shape. All this stuff has to do with the fact that we just talked about an active shooter. Okay. The good news is that uh, as far as polling goes, it looks like Donald Trump is doing better. Donald Trump was a decent second amendment president, not the best, but not the worst. And he has a critical lead right now. I'm leaving you guys with a little upside here. Uh, he's destroying Biden in five states. I've got this thing up here. Nevada, he's pulling over 10 points ahead. Um, in Georgia, six points ahead. Arizona, he's up about five points. Uh, Michigan, another five in head-to-head -head against Biden. And in Pennsylvania, also doing that, he's up by four. It looks like he's a little bit behind in Wisconsin, but he's closing that gap. And, um, you know, these are critical states that have to be won if we're going to see this thing change in a, in a peaceful way. Um, also, People are waking up. You just heard Mara give her kind of discussion about why and what she saw in 2020 and 21 and 22 and why they weren't going to do it, what her husband got involved in. There are other people as well. And one of them I got to call Laura. Um, what is her? What is her name? Laura Logan. Crushing it. Absolutely crushing it. There's a two-part series right now on X. I highly recommend if you're not on X, you get there because that's where a lot of the dialogue with people we don't agree with is. This is outstanding. This video is video that I had never before, uh, never before seen it's coming from Laura Logan, 
but it's taken as part of the Carl Jackson show. We, we stole a clip from Carl Jackson, who's also a friend of our show. He's in Twitter spaces with me a lot. If you guys want to engage with Carl, you could do that and you can follow him. Check out this video of Ray Apps. Tell me if you guys have ever seen this one before. Give me thumbs up in the chat. If you heard this first little sort of a quiet part out loud, let's do video number seven. I'll roll it whenever you're ready, Ryan. Then he leaned in and whispered something he apparently did not want to say out loud. We're not here to fight, man. We're here to... We're here to storm the Capitol. And echoed the official narrative before it was broadcast across the nation. Of supporters of President Trump stormed the U.S. Capitol building. Thousands storming the Capitol. This mob that stormed the Capitol. Stormed the Capitol. Stormed. The Capitol. Stormed the Capitol. Stormed the U.S. Capitol building. Stormed the United States Capitol. It's a video that has not been seen before. So in my opinion, if this guy wasn't working for the FBI, who was he working for? Inquiring minds would like to know. They sure would. Again, you can follow Carl Jackson. He's a friend of ours. He's a friend of our show. He subs for Dennis Prager on a regular basis. He subs for uh, Officer Tatum. He has his own show, The Carl Jackson Show. Um, A really good guy and a really sane take on things out of Florida. And called this little clip to our attention. Listen to the words. The words matter. Normal people don't say that you stormed a building. That is a very specific type of verbiage. Why was Ray Epps saying, we're going to go and storm the Capitol? And then you hear Baked Alaska, who's dealt with a lot of problems since January 6th, saying, yeah, hell yeah, we're going to storm the Capitol. He repeats it, but he heard it. Storm the Capitol is a very specific verbiage. I've never seen that before. Most of you probably have not seen it before either. Um, It's a very narrow sort of subset on it. And once again, great work, two-part series that uh, Laura Logan is doing on the so-called Fed Surrection. It's called Insurrection versus Fed Surrection. You should find it. They're two like 15 to 17 minute long videos. They're well-produced and they are showing stuff that I think is really important. There are some people that are out there. That's what it's called, Truth in Media. Uh, Della in the chat just put it out there. Truth in Media, that's Laura's thing. There's some people that want to do journalism. And luckily, we've got people like Steven Crowder doing exactly the same thing, sharing things that are in public interest, things that we need to know as Americans. Uh, Folks, thanks for sticking with us for an an extra long sort of episode of our show. You kind of got a two for today. We did a live interview, but I didn't want to leave this in the the past. I did not want to let this get memory hold uh, when I had some current thoughts on it. And hopefully you've walked away with a little bit more knowledge about what it is and what it was not. When it came to those three sort of leaked pieces, uh, let me let me shamelessly plug our buddy Garrett O'Boyle's merch store, uh, the, the O'Boyle family. Somebody asked me on Twitter the other day, like, does it support the O'Boyles? Yeah, it does. That's what it does. So go to the-suspendables.com. Use promo code Kyle. You get a little discount. The-suspendables.com. Promo code Kyle. Today, I am wearing the uh, the one that you see in the bottom row there. I am wearing the uh, suspendable or die. This is the front. It's the Betsy Ross in the front. It's got the... Uh, the uh, snake, the chopped up snake on the back, which says uh, there's some letters that spell out a secret message. You guys should check it. And the head of the snake is a suspendables badge as well. But suspendable, the-suspendables.com is the merch store. And then also, so I'll just say this because it's worth it. We've been doing long enough. Um, some of you guys are using the promo code for MyPillow. Uh, when you're doing your MyPillow orders, I get a little like update. I, I don't push these things because I think a lot of people are pushing them and some people depend on that for their life. But if you're supporting our show and you're going to buy from Mike Lindell's store, you want to go to MyPillow.com. You can do the slash Kyle. You'll get whatever their updates are. You get the same deals that anyone else does. So if you're interested in getting uh, some of the MyPillow products, I know a lot of people like them. Ryan's probably wearing their slippers right now. My folks sleep on their sheets. Uh, Steve Friend, I think, said he was looking at getting some of their sheets as well. Uh, I think he liked the the Giza ones, and my my folks like the Percale, which they just did a a remix of. 
You can do mypillow.com slash Kyle or just use promo code Kyle when you go to the website. You get all the same deals that anybody else was. doesn't matter if it's Post or anybody else. And uh, and we get a percentage of it. So um, we appreciate that. Folks, thanks for sticking with us. Well over a thousand of you for almost the entire time here. Um, very much appreciate you guys supporting the show. Look at all these wonderful rumble rants from you guys. Uh, our friend Tack Penis throwing some stuff out there saying it's a fact. The Air Force has a pronoun section on their email now. That's pretty troubling stuff. I know it's all over the place. It's in the government. <laughs> our producer Ryan Mattis saying uh, Tuesday Suspendables train. You guys jumped in. Double episode Tuesday from Kim Wexler, who also said two for Tuesday. We got uh, Eric Jason saying keeping the train rolling. And uh, and a big rumble rant for 50 bucks from, uh, from Christopher WT, who just became one of our monthly supporters of the channel. If you want to support the channel, you can do so by hitting the, uh, the follow and then the subscribe. We really appreciate if you guys do that. Uh, whatever 007, 10 bucks say, I love the show. <laughs> I also like that uh, Christopher WT said that he logged out of work and closed the door and is just watching that FBI gender lesson. So you guys are sick, but we love you. This is what we're all about. The Suspendables, uh, the Seraphan crew that has been being uh, keeping this thing going. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you like what you had to to hear today. You can share it. This one says my favorite podcast. I've been watching Dan Bongino's podcast for about five years now. I've recently started listening to Kyle as well. Kyle's podcast is my new favorite. That is high praise from FB has ruined the world. Facebook is terrible. I want to call it anti-social media folks. Uh, all of you follow Ryan Matta, Ryan Matta Media on Twitter or Ryan Matta on True Social or on Rumble. We really appreciate all of you being here. There it is. Look at that. Oh, Suspendables merch, the Suspendables, kind of like the Godfather thing. We will see you again tomorrow. God bless you guys. Have a great and wonderful day. Go meet your neighbors and uh, be safe. Thanks for listening to the Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, True Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.